All right, recording over here. Another random fun fact. Let's hear it. Uh, posted that TikTok and reel yesterday. Yeah. And I already had like three people DM me on Instagram actually. And they're like, hey, I need your services. Like I've been wanting to talk to you for a while oh, about it. Wow. And it's funny because <clears throat> I, I'm like not even doing marketing anymore, right? Like, yeah. But I was like, wow, imagine if I'd done this like years ago when I was trying to grow my business True. and all of a sudden i have people reaching out like hey i've been meaning to get some marketing from you you bro, know but it was, was just like top of mind and all they had to do was see it and be like ah oh, yeah i should hit a reminder up. yeah bro i was preaching tiktok to our clients in like 2019 yeah. and like one of our clients like who has like a, S- a short-term rental airbnb brand yeah um he was like a total tiktok hater and then he started making tiktoks and like they started blowing up it started working and then uh, yeah, he loved us. So it's crazy because well, we, we never got to thank you for that. I don't, yeah, I don't think we got to thank you for that. So we're going to keep his name out of this. We're going to get the shout out. We'll, we'll squash the beef on the podcast live. Yeah. But um, nice. so, yeah, what's up? We're chilling here with Luke Heineke, uh, Truman Milan. We got Adam Sorensen, and it's your boy Mike Ritchie here. And today, I just, it's like, I'm so excited to have a guest here. Because the last couple episodes have just been the boys chopping it up. But now we get to like talk about you, introduce you. You're someone that like uh, Truman and I both look up to and like have learned so much from. So like doing the podcast with you is like a super awesome opportunity to bring education to our audience about just like your life. Uh, like the last episode we were talking about just like the process. So like... The process of your entire life going from seeing you driving a white Corolla or a white Camry. Camry, bro. Come on. To like where you are now having sold multiple companies and yeah. now you're like an accomplished investor uh, by the time you were 30. So that's like huge accomplishment yeah. to do something like that within the span of 10 years or so. And uh, like I just want to go back. Maybe let's start this after high school. Yeah. What where was your head at after you graduated from high school? That's a great question. Uh, first, I just want to say thanks for having me out here, guys. Of course. And uh, I won't stay off topic too long. But I have to say, I we had like a team meeting today at the company that I, I recently sold. I still work there, right? And I used two of Truman's TikTok takeaways mm-hmm. in my meeting. I just want to throw that out Let's there. Go. I, I literally used the – I am now imp, imp, implementing – the uh will this make the boat go faster mm. across my whole company money tiktok yeah. by the way i just had to throw that out there so thank you for that um and my point is is that you guys are also people that i look up to so i'm super grateful to be on the podcast today and be able to talk to you guys appreciate that yeah so back to the question um my head after high school was actually in a really crazy place because mm-hmm. i got kicked out of my parents house when i was 18 and I was homeless, living out of my car, and uh, I went and got two jobs. One at a like packing company that was like a warehouse, and I worked on call. So they would call me, they would text me or call me at, like eleven at night. I had to be there within uh, one hour. <clears throat> so that sucked. And then I worked at a sushi bar part time. And I remember like all I wanted to do is be able to get my own apartment, and rent was like nine hundred dollars a month. And I had really bad credit, and so it was hard to, like, even get an apartment. So I went and I applied at this place, and they're like, yeah, 
if you can show X amount of income, we can rent you this apartment. And so I went out and I was hustling. I worked like a hundred hours, like over a hundred hours the week before Christmas on my 19th birthday. And I remember getting home on Christmas night at like 10 PM, just like so exhausted. I just went to bed. I like didn't even care about Christmas. I was like, I just want to go to bed. I just want to sleep. And I had hit my goal of making enough money that I could then go get that apartment. And at the time I was just like kind of couch surfing. I stayed with a girl that I was dating at the time. So my head was just in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, it's so hard to think big picture because you're like, I just want to eat. I just want to have to like not steal groceries. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was legit stealing food to eat, which is like something that I'm not super proud of now. But like, I just did what I had to do. Yeah. So... After that period, what was your transition into, um, like, the world of business? Like, how did you go from working at a sushi restaurant to um, working in the world of entrepreneur or business? Because not even necessarily entrepreneurship. Yeah. Well, it kind of was one small step at a time. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't just, like, wake up one day and like, I'm quitting my sushi job. I'm quitting this uh-huh. and I am starting a business. You know, it didn't happen like that. Watch one Gary Vee video <laughs> and you're ready to go. <laughs> I wish I hadn't even heard of Gary. Like I didn't know, believe it or not, I didn't read books. I didn't want, I didn't listen to podcasts. I really didn't know how to educate myself. And so that slowed my process down a lot. So that'd be like the number one thing I could mm-hmm. say people that want to level up their life should do is they should listen to podcasts. They should read they should start absorbing material because the sooner you do that, it's going to open your eyes and you're going to become, you know, the more educated you are, the more informed you are, the better decisions you can make, the faster you can grow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the next step, basically what happened is I, I was really stoked. I was making like, I want to say like $2,000 a month. I know that sounds so sad. Oh, wow. It got so much quieter after we turned yeah. the heater off. <laughs> <laughs> a month. That's not that sad. I was actually, I was proud of it at the time Yeah, and it was paying my bills, but I was working so much. I was working more than full time, two jobs. And -hmm. that was like tips and, you know, shift work and overtime and everything else, which if you've ever done that, you know, that's not the way you want to earn $2,000 a month. It's a hard way to earn money. And I ran into my buddy from like high school, not even my buddy. Well, just like a kid I knew in (laughs) high school. I hate calling him out like that. Hope he doesn't watch this. You're my (laughs) buddy. You're my buddy now. Uh, No, but I ran into him. He's like, and we, you know, I was like kind of bragging a little bit. I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was like, yeah, man, I just got my own apartment making two grand a month. dude." He's like, that's cool, man. I'm making $50,000 a year. I just bought the new Camaro. And I was like, let me see this. I don't believe that shit. Yeah. Takes me outside. He's got like the 45th edition, like Camaro, like, and he was making 50 grand a year, which at 19, I was like, that's a ton of money. I'm like, dude, get me a job. selling cell phones for like uh verizon like uh kiosks and stuff okay like is it like a third party company that sells phones yeah yeah they sold like 18 he verizon sprint um so he gets me a job and i just hustled i wasn't like i didn't have any sales experience but i was just the guy who like my manager would always call in and so he'd be like hey can someone take my shift i'm like dude me i'm there and i would just be there so i just grinded right And then like the upper management noticed. And after like six months of working there, they gave me my own store and made me a manager. Nice. Yeah. So then you probably went from commission to salary or did you still make commission as a manager? Yeah, it was commission, but based on like how the stores did. And so then it was like another year and they gave me like two more stores. So I had three stores. 
and I was making like, you know, like 50, 60,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had like a little team that I managed and I was the best salesperson in the whole region, Let's like go. consistently. How old are you roughly at this point? I'm still like uh, 19, 20, 20 okay. years old, probably. Yeah. So how did you go from there to like starting your first business? Yeah. So another small step. So again, I'm feeling good about myself. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> this is going to be a theme of my life, I think. <clears throat> and I'm like, so I'm running to my buddy and I'm like, yeah, man, making 60K a year. <laughs> He's like, that's cool, dude. I just made that in one month, selling alarms door to door. And I'm like, what did you, I literally thought it was a scam. I was right. like, he's yeah, literally yeah. trying to like, I thought it was one of those like, um, what do they call that? Like multi-level marketing. MLM. Yeah. yeah. MLM. And I'm like, that sounds like fake. And yeah. he's going to steal my social security number. You know, like yeah. this is a scam. But I was like, yeah, I'll go in for an interview, you know? And he's like, yeah, it's commission only, but it's like 500 to a thousand dollars per alarm, depending on all these different metrics. Mm. So I go in, I talk to the guy and he's like, yeah, we're going to be going out this summer and you know, you can make two, $300,000 in a summer. Here's the guys that have done it. Here's their actual paychecks. And I'm like, that's wild. So I quit all of my jobs, like everything I was doing and went out to, to sell alarms. This was in uh, Texas, right? <clears throat> Texas and Louisiana. Yeah. And this was like 2013. So I'm like 21. It's kind of like a testament to like, like there's levels to things. Yeah. Like what I'm hearing from you, it's like you reach like a new point where you think like this is, I mean, it was like the furthest you've ever been at that point. Yeah. And you think that like, that's all you have left in the tank, but then you just, someone else comes into your life and kind of expands that out into like a whole new paradigm, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also being like, not being afraid to go do something different and also being open to like change, you know? And sacrifice of going and living like I had to move out there for three months yeah, yeah. and at the time I had like a girlfriend that I've been dating for a couple of years and she's like yeah if you go out there I'm gonna break up with you and I was like well I guess we're breaking up then because I gotta go do this yeah, you know yeah. and it was like so there was like sacrifices and changes like that I had to make like which in hindsight like I yeah. made the right decision yeah. but at the <laughs> clearly t- yeah <laughs> <laughs> at the time though it was hard it was hard right, at the time right now. Yeah. Um, hindsight so, is twenty twenty. and so the biggest thing though was not you know I made pretty good money um, out there selling alarms more than I was making before and I made it all in one lump sum you know because they pay you up front and then they pay you this check at the back end mm. but that wasn't where the real value was at all it wasn't about the money door to door the value in door to door was the the mentorship that I got from the other guys that I worked with that were there leveling up their life in a real way. Remember there's this kid, he probably doesn't even know this. I've never told him this. His name's Houston Crandall. And uh, he was like, Hey, do you have audible? I was like, well, no, what's audible? He's like, Oh, it's an audiobook thing. You can listen to any book you want. You just listen to it. You don't have to read. Cause I told him I hated reading. I was like, Oh, I'm going to check this out. <clears throat> so I download audible. Sorry for all the, <clears throat> I got like a, cold thing going on today uh anyway so i download audible start listening to audiobooks and instantly like light bulb i'm like i can learn anything i want to learn anytime i want to learn it yeah and it started like 
this growth process in me where it was like all of a sudden I felt like I had control over like my own destiny. This sounds crazy, but I was like, I can learn anything, right? Not saying I'm a super genius, but like I can listen to something and I'm like, I can take points away from you got it. Super right? potential. Super potential, sure. Everybody has a lot of potential if they start applying themselves. And so that was uh, this big takeaway for me because now I started listening to podcasts. I started listening to Audible because I didn't like to sit down and just read text. Right. It wasn't something I ever wanted to do. I couldn't like, I don't know if it's ADD or what it is, but it was like hard for me to sit down and just like read a book. But I could listen to Audible and I like would get way, way into it. Would you like listen to books like while you worked out or like did other things or would you like sit there, listen and like actively take notes or like probably a combo? A combo. I mean, to start with, I would just throw it on while I was doing something like while I was walking to like, you know, door to door, I'd throw my headphones in and then just click them off before I hit a door or on my drive out to my area or in the morning before I went out and knocked or at night, I just got addicted to listening to audiobooks. And then the second takeaway though, from that door to door job was learning to face rejection and then realizing that it didn't actually hurt me. Cause mm. like you, you have this fear, right? Of like, whether it's, um, starting a business or selling something or, like or yeah, like, talking to a girl, <laughs> even making new friends. Mm-hmm. Everyone's afraid of rejection. If you say you're not like, that's know, like one of the most primal like, things. Is yeah. Like, rejection you know yeah you want to fit in that's right. born into us um and door to door you knock on people's door and sometimes people are like dude go away from my house you suck i hate you <laughs> and you're like you have to walk away right yeah and but then you'll knock on the next door and that guy's like dude i actually need an alarm system come on in i'm gonna buy one yeah and then you have everything in between right people who need a little more convincing a little less convincing but ultimately you learn to face rejection and keep going mm-hmm. And the guys who do best at it are the ones who can take rejection all day, but keep going. And then also you can kind of notate, what am I doing right? How can I improve my pitch? Like adapt. Adapt. So I started reading sales books. That was the first type of book that I started listening to. I shouldn't say read, listening to an Audible. I started listening to Grant Cardone and a bunch of these other guys, like Fanatical Prospecting. I can't remember Jeff, his. Jeff Blau. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and all these other sales books, and I started digesting sales material like crazy. And I noticed my sales numbers going up and I was like, Oh, this is actually working. And I had been into lifting weights since I was 13 and I saw real progress with weight. So it was easy for me to keep doing it because I was like gaining muscle and I looked better. But then I started seeing progress in my life when I would read and it felt like a mental workout that was producing gains for me. Mm-hmm. I, I shared this quote on, I think, two podcasts ago of uh, Arnold okay. Schwarzenegger who because I got into lifting when I was like 18 or whatever and he was like one of my still is a big yeah he's like the pinnacle of bodybuilding or just in that community sure and something that he said is that like because he did bodybuilding acting went into politics he said everything is just reps and sets like, yeah and like that when he said that because I had that history of working out like how you did I would, like it clicked that, yeah, that is like the same thing. If I want to go do skateboarding or scootering or whatever I want to do, like it's the way I'm going to get better is the same way that I get bigger in the gym is just by more sets and more reps and just putting in the work. There's no like secret, you know, it's like 
in fitness, you can do these little hacks and whatever. You can do diets or whatever you need to do or supplements. But, like, the core, the 80-20, is getting your ass in the gym and putting in the work, you know? And doing more sets and more reps. And, like, when you said that, I was like, that makes total sense, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, I just So, did you that. do multiple years of alarm sales? Kind, yeah, I did two, like, seasons. Yeah, so you do, like, three, four months at a time. And I did two of those what were your results like like actual revenue or uh yeah like how big was your check after the first one and then after the sec like did you start to get into these sales book wave in between the two sessions or during the first one and did you see the most growth in the first session or do you see the growth between the first and the second where it's like you came back and you hit the ground running or was yeah. it not really like that because no. i didn't do summer sales it was definitely the second time around. You know, I went out in like I think like three weeks, and I sold like, I don't know, like forty accounts or something. Like it was like much more, it was much quicker. Yeah. You know, so it was like a six figure, you know, check for the first time in my life. In, you know, I actually switched like companies, and then I went back to the other company, so I got like checks from both companies. Oh, nice. Um, and benefited from that. So, again, though, it was it was not the money made on those jobs. It was the takeaways from the jobs. Yeah. And so I actually came back for my second season and a bunch of the guys from door to door, they just do nothing in the off season right. and they just like spend their money. Yeah. And that's how they get like hooked into that go out every summer and sell. Mm. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's like a feast and famine yeah. on like a yearly schedule. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like we have <clears throat> some of that in like a service business when you're starting out in a monthly, you know, just how, you know, clients, or whatever, but seems like that's on a yearly thing where they get like a huge amount in the summer and then they spend it and then yeah. survive for a survive. few months until you come back. But going back to like when I was a kid, um, I used to actually take this little red wagon around to my neighbor's houses. My dad was an entrepreneur. He owned a business. And so I was always thinking of entrepreneurial ideas because I wanted to be like my dad. And I would get whatever, fill it up with like, different products, you know, that I could get for like a dollar and have my mom help me. I go sell them for like five bucks to my neighbors. And I would always tell everybody, like when I was like a little kid, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a millionaire one day. And you know, I'm like a little kid. So people are like, yeah, sure. sure you're you a buddy. Luke. Yeah. So what do you really want to do when you grow up? You know, like, yeah. cause that's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so what was interesting is after I'd kind of overcome, you know, being kicked out and like got back on my feet, which I feel like I really got back on my feet after alarm sales. That's when I started realizing, I started reading, I started well, listening, I started getting, you know, I started feeling like I can do anything or like whatever I put my mind to, I guess whatever I'm willing to invest myself into, I can, I can accomplish. So, so you had another mindset shift post sales. Yeah. And I went back to that. Yeah, I am going to be a millionaire and I'm going to, I think I'm going to do it by starting a business. But in the meantime, I got a job selling cars and I, I remember I worked there for like a month and I sold like 22 cars. I was like the top sales dude at the car lot. And then I walked in the first week in the next month and I was like, hey guys, I'm going to quit. I'm starting my own business. And, and everybody... It's a car dealership right across the street. <laughs> uh, that would have been good. That's the most savage uh, move. <laughs> No, but they were just like, yeah, okay, well, we'll see in a few weeks. Yeah. You know, you'll be back, you know. 
and they are like offering me more money to stay and, you know, trying to like, you know, and, and mostly they just thought I was like an idiot. Like they didn't come out and say like, you're an idiot, but like people don't believe in you when you say you're going to start your own business and you're 22 years old. Most people are like, okay, guy, good luck, you know? And even my buddy that I was working with is like, are you really like starting a business? And then like, um, I actually went back out for like three weeks and sold alarms after I started my business. And at the time that business was just designing websites, right? Just like I would door to door small businesses, auto garages, and I would sell them a website, but instead of charging them like $10,000 for a website, I'd give them a payment plan where they could pay like 99 or $300 a month for like five years. But I designed the website today and then they just paid me off over time so that small businesses could have nicer websites. That was the initial business, right? <clears throat> and so long story short, I went out like that first week that I quit and I just, I had like, I made a legal contract and I was teaching myself WordPress and I, I didn't even really know hundred percent what I was doing. Sorry to those first few clients. And you were designing the websites hundred percent. I'll do it all myself. Oh, like knocking doors, doing the contracts, building the websites. And, you know, I started making money right away. And I think it was like three months in, I was already making $2,000 a month, which was like my first milestone goal because that was like what I needed to just like pay my car payment and, and my rent and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So was that, was that like linear design, like the design portion of linear, like, because I know at the your website's linear design, but now it's kind of more just known as linear. Yeah. Is it? Are we talking about the same business? It, it was initially. Um, it was like Linear Magnitude Inc. It was a really <laughs> terrible name. Oh, where did that come from initially? I don't. It was like I don't know. I was trying to think of like the most complex words I could think of. <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, which, by the way, is at like... Least, a, guys, it yeah, worked. At least you're you know? honest, yeah. Like, like uh, not the way to brand yourself, by the way. Right. Bad yeah. branding advice. So, but I just liked those two words. Like, those go together. Yeah. But I think it was like linear because it's a straight and then magnitude because it's like a, a change, a shift. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It's like a shift upward. Yeah. Oh, no I one like ever caught... I don't... Did you, did you get these, like, did you connect these dots after you had already started, like came up with your name? Cause that was something that I noticed about our company Temple Mill is it developed meaning after I started it over time. Even like, as I would see other people's <clears throat> perspectives, like talking to Adam and he was like, Oh, it's like a, a mill is something that produces things over and over again. Like a temple, like, like something on like that uh, level of quality. And that's totally what Temple Mill is all about is like, we want to be able to repeatedly do projects and then also be at the top tier quality that we can't do in the best that we can. But like, that wasn't the initial, when we started it, that's not what we were thinking, you know? I mean, I don't think it, it's developed much meaning to this day. It was more of just like, I'm just... I just like picked a name and I just ran with it. I figured it didn't matter that much. It's so interesting. It is a quick step. Because uh, now that you're in like marketing, when I first heard linear, I was like, that makes sense. Because it's like linear, like you want to be growing a linear pace yeah. like with your marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And when I dropped the, the magnitude off and just made it linear, <laughs> just... way better. 
It's so funny because we did the exact same move with Temple Mill Productions, and then we were like, "This is just Temple Mill." Yeah. Like this isn't just this isn't Temple Mill Productions. We dropped Productions. You don't want like fourteen syllables in your brand, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and our emails were like. Mike Truman at, at Temple Mill Productions. <laughs> I remember that, and I hated writing you guys an email because I had to like type it out. Yeah, it yeah. Was so, it was so yeah. okay. Uh, real quick for um, the people like watching that have no idea who you are, what yeah. is uh, Linear and like what do you do? Yeah, so Linear is a PPC and CRO agency. So I'll break that down a little bit. It's a pay per click and conversion rate optimization. So that's Google Ads, Facebook Ads, uh, Twitter Ads, TikTok Ads, any kind of ad platform that's digital. And then it's also designing the landing pages and the ad, like the copy and the creative that go along with those. So if you've ever seen an ad for like shoes on Instagram and clicked on it and bought yourself shoes, that's the kind of stuff we're doing. We're optimizing the ad, the copy, the images. And then when you click on the ad and it takes you to the page, we're optimizing the checkout. We're making it so it's, you know, we want to reduce friction and make it as easy as possible for you to get those shoes. We want to add urgency. So maybe there's a sale there's a countdown timer. Uh, those are all things that we're, we're putting together. And so we started out just doing that and we got acquired earlier this year by a, a software as a service company that, um, has an artificial intelligence platform that helps us manage those ad platforms. And it really just, uh, magnifies us as humans to do what we do at an even uh, better scale. So that company's out of San Francisco and venture funded. Awesome. So did you just like add, a service at a time over time or did you like explore different marketing services and then land on PPC CRO? Oh, I did a terrible job at this. I started out with websites and then I decided, well, why don't we just do everything? You know, (laughs) (laughs) the surefire way. Oh my God. That's exactly what we did also. (laughs) So I I was like, okay, we're going to do SEO web design email marketing, uh, pay-per-click and, you know, like also clean people's shoes. Like, right. Uh, yeah. Right. Whatever. You need an oil change. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. If you got money, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Oh, logo design branding. That's us. Yeah. It was terrible. And we, and we, I basically failed. Um, so I had a whole staff of people working with me. Um, and some of them were like, became close friends or were family or close friends before. And I had to lay everybody off like down to the last like one or two people I think that I could keep. And it was like one of the lowest times ever sucked. And I felt like an idiot. And I was like, damn, why didn't I just keep my day job? Like most other people. And I had family and friends telling me I should go back and get a day job. And I was in debt and I thought I'd made, you know, well, it felt like I'd I'd made a mistake, but there was like this thing inside me that was like, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. And I think that came from past failures that I was like maybe ashamed of, or I had like where I felt like I'd quit or I didn't work hard enough. Mm. And I was like, maybe back then I quit and that's okay, but that's not who I am now. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. Dude, that's so interesting because when you see someone like yourself now, who's clearly not a quitter, you think this person's just like that. Same with like David Goggins. People will think, oh, David Goggins, he's just like that. But what I love is that he talks about how he was a fat fucking loser who couldn't run more than half a mile. And like he had to change his mind and change his life to to turn into that person. So this brings me to my first question that's related to this. Yeah. 
Because you told us before that you like went through these like periods of failure with linear specifically, where it was like almost three times like these yeah. periods. So my question is, were there any moments where you realized that things weren't working and what did you change in yourself to get them to start working? That's a great question. So the first time around, um, it almost became this, this is going to sound weird, but it, it became like a social thing to go to work. I had hired friends or I had just hired people that I liked and we would just like, we got, we did work, but we also had way too much fun. Right. Which that's weird, right? Cause you want to have fun at work. I think that's a good thing. But we were like, we were hanging out after work. Like we were just a bunch of homies and we had a great time and we all hung out and yeah. people would work really late though. Cause it was like, people would, you know, it was like, we were all we just friends. And so there was, it was weird. Cause it's like a, what is that? It's like a, a double edged sword. Cause we had people yeah. that were willing to grind because of the emotional attachment to the team. And, the, of everything. and there was like this really cool, like belief in the company in the early days where it was a bunch of 20 something year old kids essentially that were like, we're going to make linear work. And that was really cool. That's fucking dope. It was really awesome. There's a ton of like, spirit and we weren't paying very much at all right like we we're paying such little money that only, like people believed in the future which is why they were there because they were making like yeah. two thousand dollars a month or less mm -hmm. it was not a good paying job um but yeah so the, i realized that it was a lot of fun but it probably wasn't going to work long term unless i actually learned how to build a company so i went back to what I did with alarms and I started reading books about business. So good to great. Um, what's the one, um, scaling up, scaling up Varn, Vern Harnish, um, uh, built to sell. Don't know who that is either, but uh, a bunch of other books. I just started like, I was just digesting material like crazy, uh, profit first, everything from accounting to marketing to every book I could find on business. And I realized that I'd screwed up a ton, not only from the way I hired, but the way I managed to like everything I was doing was wrong. And so I went back, I, I, I realized I needed processes yeah. and I couldn't just keep, you know, I needed to be running the business. I had all these major light bulbs. And so I started over and I started kind of doing everything right again, or at least better than I was doing it before and started growing the business back up. <clears throat> but the problem was we still kept the same service offerings with all these services. Mm. And I still had a few people there from the old team because I didn't have the heart to just right. like get rid of them. Sometimes you have to be like cold a little bit. Like if someone's not performing, that's hard to do if you have a personal relationship with them. And long story short, we basically did the same thing again where we got in. I had another team that I had built up. Some of the original people that are still, but mostly new people and we had way better like systems and processes. We had too many and it was like a scattered mess and we were making money, but it was never enough to like cover expenses. And I was in a ton of debt again and I had to lay everybody off again. And this was like time to start over again. How many team members do you have the second time around? I think we were maybe up to like seven or eight. Wow. That is hard. So like what did, what did that look like after you? Like let everyone go. Like you would just personally go into the office every day and 
did you even have an or office do, still or did you have points yeah, where there yeah, was no was, office just you? i still had the office and um i had like one employee left right so it was like me and one other person and then i hired another and then i let that actually original person go and it was somebody who'd been a day one guy who i really liked as a person but who just actually didn't perform in the role and never had and i finally was like you know what i'm hiring people i don't know i'm interviewing and i'm doing this right and i've got to let this guy go and i fired him and of course he hates me now <laughs> and it hurt my my yeah. soul to this day cuz it was like a friend and probably never be my friend again um and i started over with this one employee and we would just go into the office every day and we would work sometimes 6 days a week and we started from scratch and we got rid of every service except for two PPC and CRO. And we built a business model. And this, this employee number one, which I think is a really important skill to have in your first employee. She knew how to build processes and she came from a big process background. And so she started putting together all these tools from her previous company, like, Hey, and she brought mm. a lot to the table insight wise, yeah. um, that helped us build those processes so that we could scale the company and not just do it blindly. Yeah. So this is round three of basically starting from, you know, we had like eight at this point, we're down to like $8,000 in revenue monthly, like just enough to pay rent and her salary and like my bills mm -hmm. with like 180,000 in debt. Oh. Wow. From banks spot. or from private owners? Um, some from private, most from banks. Was it difficult to ask for private money or did you have people that you knew that it wouldn't affect them that were willing to support you? It wasn't difficult because I believed, I knew I wasn't going to quit. So mm, when I asked yeah. them for money, I knew I'd pay them back. Like you knew that I your intention wasn't to just scam them of this money and to run away. No. And I mean, I think if my intention had been that, they would have never given me the money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they were pretty thorough and I did pay um, everyone who I owed money back. Which is a great feeling. Did any of them like try to invest in linear and get equity, or were they just loaning you money that you were gonna pay back on an interest rate? Both. Oh, okay. Do you regret the investing and wish you would have just <laughs> I'm like bad at you Should I wait? <laughs> the longest this is a very long this is what very long. What are you long. doing? Okay. <clears throat> well, just we're back. Back to the program. Like, do you, yeah. do you ever feel like you ever took on investment too early? Oh, or for sure. You, and I okay. kind of, you know, I actually ended up, so what happened is when we were out of money that third time, everyone had given up faith in me mm. and they were all kind of like, man, like, I might thinking they were cutting their losses, not going to get the money back. Yeah. And so I said, well, how about I buy you guys out? And we had taxes that we owed. So we like owed taxes and didn't have money. And so they were going to have to pay part of the taxes. It was a really bad situation. It was poor, poor management on my part. Like I just still didn't know what I was doing. Which or just like poor money management or just management overall? Everything. Yeah, I just didn't do a good job. I didn't know. Like I just – I wasn't – I was missing a lot of the pieces needed to be to, – to do everything right, right? Which I'm like, I think that's pretty normal. There's like running a business has, there's a lot of pieces to that. Yeah. Sure. And it's like near impossible to like get everything in front before you start. Like it's like, 
I feel, I mean, if you could like mentor someone today, I feel like you could help them do everything. Absolutely. But like, if you start off and you're just starting your business, like you're going to make huge mistakes, like pretty much regardless of, I don't know. Well, even if you have a mentor to guide you through the mistakes, like for me, it's like you and me, I feel like we've been told what we need to do from multiple different mentors, but being told isn't enough. You have to like experience it to understand fully yeah it's like it may work for a short period of time but then if you don't fully like because it that's the thing about businesses there's so many balls to drop if you're trying to juggle all these balls you're for sure dropping some of them like if you don't have a team as much as you want to like lie to yourself yeah so that was kind of interesting though because it, it gave me like i had the chance to pay them out and I just said, Hey, I'm going to pay you guys out. I'll take care of the taxes. And I bought them both out and they were like, just grateful to be getting their money back. Mm -hmm. They weren't getting any more than I think what they gave me initially. It was just like, but you paid them back, but I paid them back. Nice. And then I was like, I'm not going to fail. Like it was, it was just this thing. Like I, like I want to win, but more than anything, I don't want to lose. Yeah. yeah. Like I want to win. But losing is what I won't do. Like, I won't accept failure. Like, it's like the worst feeling in the world to fail. And I wasn't going to do that. And so then I restarted the engines and I actually did things right the third time around. I built processes. I hired good people. um, I applied roles and I delegated. That was the big thing. I delegated and I trusted people to do their jobs. And a lot of them ended up doing their jobs better than I would have done it. Mm-hmm. I adopted a new management strategy. I actually paid attention to the finances. Um, and I paid off all of the debt. The company was debt free by the time we sold it well before we sold it. So were you doing your own services that you provide for other companies on your own company to get new clients or were you uh, doing a different strategy? That's a great question too. Yeah. We actually did a totally different strategy. Um, all of our business and Thanks for bringing that up, Mike, because that's actually the number one way we did end up growing. Mm. So when I failed that third time around, I was like, okay, I need more than just books. I need to fit, find someone who's actually doing this and doing it successfully. Yeah. And there was this guy in California uh, who owned an agency that was doing like half a million a month at the time, which to me, I was like, that's insane. Yeah. Still is. It's still is insane. Another one of those like, uh, like your mind expanding. Type exactly. Things. That. That is exactly what it is. It's another run into the guy at the grocery store that's got the, I am making 60, you know? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah, and I'm, I was like, I was aiming for like 50K a month. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, I'm making 500K. He's like, I made 50K today. <laughs> for real though, right? Jeez, yeah. And so I had, I had been following their blog and they had all these blog articles. It was like 5,000 to 10,000 word blogs that you could read online. And I had recently read a book by Joe Paluzzi called uh, Content Inc. Mm -hmm. And so I was already on the content mindset. Like you need content, right? And so then when I found their blog, I was like, that's what he's doing. He's got content. That's how he's growing this business. And then he actually published blogs about how he was growing his business. And so he had this Halloween meetup that he posted on Meetup. And it was just for people there in the, the Orange County area. But I just bought a ticket and flew out there showed up to the meetup with my one employee. So that's always a good move. 
like <clears throat> with Truman and I a couple times like taken risks and like spent some of our own money to go see someone that we admire like have a meet up but it's always worth it yeah and I was so afraid because I had emailed him and I had reached out to him and been like hey you know I'd asked for some advice and he actually um called me up and offered me a job to just come work for his company and I was like I was like oh no man I want to do my own thing um but I was worried like if I flew out there I was going to get the cold shoulder. It was going to be weird. But what was cool is he like sent an email out to everyone. I was like, hey, these people flew all the way from Salt Lake to come see us. And everyone on the team like welcomed us. Mm-hmm. And I had, a, I had like this, I mean, this was a major mindset shift for me as well because I flew out there and I got there and I realized their entire team I had pictured as like these robots, right? Because I was like, how can they be doing 500K a month and have 30 employees and they must be like the smartest, most insane people ever. And I got there and met them and they were just like, they were just like normal people, Yeah. but they had processes to follow and they knew what to do and they had management, they had oversight and they had a lot of fun at work too. Like they were doing yeah. things to make work fun. So the first thing was, I was like, Oh, I can hire people and they can do a good job and I don't have to do all this myself or micromanage or like, you know, I can actually delegate. And then I sat there and I interviewed this guy. He get, he went in his office with me and I asked him, I had a list of questions I'd written out. I had spent like two hours in my hotel room before we showed up at their office. I had written all these questions and I showed up and I spent like three hours and he just sat there and answered like three hours with my questions, which he answered all of your questions, every single question I had. He told me everything he was doing to grow his business like everything we needed to do. Like I even took pictures of like, you know, things there that I thought would like maybe be like refresh my mind, you know? And I took like pages and pages and pages of notes. And this guy just gave me three hours of his time for free. This multi, uh, I would assume millionaire at least at the time, um, just gave me three hours just cause I showed up from Salt Lake and took an interest in his business. Mm. And then I went back to Salt Lake and I immediately started writing blogs. Because his biggest takeaway was to create more content in terms of what you were lacking at that point. Well, that's how he grew his whole business was yeah, with content. Yeah, that's like the topic of his whole book. No, that's not the same guy though. Yeah, different guy. Oh, okay. Different guy. It wasn't Joe Paluzzi. It was another guy that owned an agency. Gotcha. But I was on the content train because of that book and that's yeah. how I found this guy. Um, and he was also on the content wave. Yeah. And I started – and he told me – one of the things he told me is he's like, well, think about it. How do people even know what you do if you yeah. don't have any content out? Oh, yeah. And I was like, boing. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so then I realized like, – like, You have to let people know that you're out there. They're yeah. not just going to be able to read your mind and come to you. Like very, very rarely <laughs> that happens, but you can't <clears throat> rely on it. And you also have to be able to like show people – like in today's environment with content and – the internet and stuff you have to be able to show people first i feel like what you can do like what services you offer one but like how does it actually impact your business like you, people have to be able to like know that you know what you're talking about right you can't just be like oh he he does marketing like oh he actually understands marketing i can see it from his blogs i can like the proof is in the pudding you know yeah. like that type of thing big trust indicator and i think that was the thing that other, another thing that stood out as he told me he's like yeah most of the leads we get you know, they're signing up in like 14 days or like seven days. And we were just like taking our sales process was months sometimes. And he oh, was yeah. like, yeah, well it's pretty easy. Cause they usually call up 
and the conversation goes something like, hey, I've read like four or five of your blogs and I really want to work with you guys. What do I need to do? Like that was not the conversations we were having. I was cold calling people. I was like, you know, I, I was like running, like I, I was running in circles trying to get yeah. clients and I would have good months and we'd sell a bunch of stuff. And then I'd have a, two, three months where we sold nothing. And I was like, how am I going to pay my bills? This sucks. And so with content, he's like, yeah, we make a piece today and it doesn't even rank for like six months. But when it starts ranking, we'll get deals from it for years. Dude, and it was like yeah. consistent. I think it's like the difference between like going out and trying to like get like clients versus like you're building up your like garden, like, like so to speak. And people are like coming to you and they're like being attracted or it's like a beehive or something. People are like yeah. being attracted to you. And you don't have to like go out and force people like you're just putting your stuff out there and they're deciding if they want to work with you or not. Yeah. I see that with YouTube so much. Like, uh, the other day I sent you guys a Gary V video that I just watched and it was just like, it's just like Gary's like preaching about creating content. And it like, I sent that video to you guys literally yesterday, but that video came out in May. Yeah. And I'm just now getting to it. And I'm even, uh, I follow him. I watch his other videos. I sent you a different one like two weeks ago. <laughs> and even for me as a fan, I didn't see that video until four, five months later. Yeah. Which is like, it's just so crazy. Like you don't like see the results of building it until yeah, they're like, you start to see them. They're like assets yeah. or like evergreen. Like they're always going to be there. Like you have... How many blogs do you think you have on that one? Hundreds. Yeah, they're just like sitting there attracting views and yeah. every month. Blogs that I wrote in 2018, you know, gave us, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue this year. So here's a question I have for you. How precious were you about writing your content? And like, were you like really putting like, this is the blog article that's going to give this man the most amount of value? Or was it like, let me just rip these experiment. Even like today, like I'm sure you're not writing the articles personally, but they're still linear is dropping blog articles, like transitioning. I don't know. I'm just curious about that whole process, yeah. you know? So there's two great points there. And this is actually another kind of knowledge drop that I got in that meeting in California with that other agency owner. Um, I was like, Hey, how do you know, what your job is and how do you know when to delegate something? And he's like, well, I just, you know, in the early days of a company, right? He's like, let's say you're doing, you know, design work. Then you build out the process for design work. You hire a designer and then you move on. And so it's like, you just keep doing something. You build a process and you move on in the mm -hmm. early days and you hand it off to someone else. So you, you delegated pretty quickly then. I, was... I delegated content like within... Well, I started me and my other employee I had at the time, the two of us, all we did was write content. Mm. And I just would, I just like, was like, so Hey, you had a lot of material already. We just started writing. So I used a, I think his name's Brian Dean. I feel bad if I'm getting his name wrong, but he wrote this article about, it was called the skyscraper technique. Mm. And it basically is the concept of you find another piece of content online. So let's say that the content is about uh, video production and it's like, you're going to go Google video production. You're going to find the top like four or five articles and then you're going to find the one that's the longest and the best. And you're going to make it 10 times better. 
So if it has one picture, your article is going to have 10. If it has one video, your article is going to have a video that's like way longer and more in depth. If it has 500 words, yours is going to have 5,000. And he called it the skyscraper technique. Basically, you're, you're, here's their, here's like this little, you know, building that your competitors have, and you're just going to build this skyscraper next to it. And I felt like that was the way that, because I didn't have money for SEO. I didn't have money to like buy a bunch of backlinks or, or go. I didn't really have the time to write content and build backlinks. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to create the best content, and Google's going to rank for that. But what it did that was even more cool than that is it got us a lot of opportunities where people would read the content and then reach out and be like, Hey, do you want a guest blog? Do you want to post a blog on our blog? Or, and we just started getting links naturally because people would find the content and then they were right. Other blog writers would link back to our content because it was good enough and it was longer and better than the others. And then I started reaching out to other like industry leaders mm-hmm. and asking them to write guest blogs for our blog. Oh, would you pay them? No. A lot of times they do it for free because they could link back to their website if they wrote a blog for us. They'll be like, hey, I was on Linear's blog, and it gives them credibility. Um, You know, eventually, yeah. Now it does. We didn't have credibility then. So it was more about like, hey, you own a software company that does, uh, it helps people design landing pages. Do you want to write a blog about landing page design for us? And then you Mm. can link back to your software. And they're like, done. So So like with with video production as an example, you would take someone who could be like a, a creator and ask them to do a guest blog, like, cause they have a similar audience to you yeah. and ask them to do a guest blog about how they plan videos. And then if I'm a video production company, someone who's trying to learn more about video production, is going to get value from that and then hopefully check out my company. Yeah. And it's just beneficial for both. Right. Because yeah. so that, that's actually a real example that landing page company that wrote that article for us, that article today, if you Google uh, post-click landing pages, that's like our, it ranks number one still. And I didn't even write that article. You mm. know, this other owner of this, uh, this landing page software company wrote it. But we get business from that article. So would you was... do like keyword research when finding ideas for art? Or would your team have a process on like researching specific keywords and writing them along the, those lines? We do now. Um, but transparently in the early days, I just looked at what other competitors were ranking for. And I just was like, Hey, if they're doing that, it must be working for them. And I would just write better articles than them. And so do I think it's a good idea to have a content strategy and pick keywords? Absolutely. 100%. But in the early days, the most important thing you can do is just like get started. Like just do something. Cause otherwise you're going to run. Yeah. And you just procrastinate. You don't do anything. Right. Yeah. So, um, Back to your your question though, originally I feel like I got a little bit off. We, about I don't know being if I, precious about the content. Yeah. So every waking moment, like super. I remember the Super Bowl that year in like 2018. I was sitting there just writing an article with the Super Bowl like on the screen in front of me. I mean, like I was just writing content. I woke up in the morning, like I would write. I had a goal to write like 700 words a day, and I would just try to hit my word count goal every day. And you would just be in writer mode. Focus, yeah. Like your primary focus was, okay, I need to create a bunch of articles. Yeah. Let me just every day uh, set this goal of 700 words or whatever. And then you just tackled it. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it was like taking an article that already existed, reading it, and then going and doing like finding other courses or things that like were about the same subject, but that they hadn't talked about in that article and watching videos. So I would split my time between learning 
and writing. So I was learning and then I would actually prove points that they had that were wrong. Or I would take like a different take. If they had said this is good, I would say this is bad. Um, so I would try to make it different try to make the content stand out. So I, I'm being selfish with this conversation yeah, because the entrepreneur in me is like, I love talking about this stuff, but I know a lot of our audience doesn't really care about business. So I kind of want to uh, kind of swerve back, but I'm curious of like, currently, what, uh, how big is your team? Um, pretty close to 20 people now um, in like the linear branch of the company, but total, we in the total company that acquired us, there's over 400 people. That is a massive, like, systemized operation. It has to be. Yeah, like, it to is. To have now. that many people and all that. Like, have they, since they've, like, bought your company, have they put in place a bunch of their systems? Or have they been, like, the reason why we bought your company because you already did a great job at building it the way that we're looking for a company to be built. That's why they just bought yours instead of building their own. Both. I mean, they bought us because, you know, in the they have a due diligence period. And in due diligence, they look through everything and they're like, so, and they'll ask you questions like, so what, can you walk me through the process from a time a client signs up to the time that you're working for them to the time that they cancel and you better have a checklist for everything. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons that we got acquired because we had a checklist for everything. Here's our onboarding checklist. This is everything we do when a client signs on. Great. Okay. Well, what do you do once they're onboarded? Oh yeah. Here's our weekly, monthly, yeah. daily Okay, what if they cancel? Oh, here's our offboarding checklist. Uh -huh. um, how do you train people? Like everything was built out, right? Yeah. And so I felt like when you know you're getting interviewed by a company that's looking to make multiple acquisitions, they're going to try to pick the best companies that are most prepared. Yeah. So having processes and how well we were set up helped us, but I also think that they've come in and they've improved several things just by bringing. Yeah. You know, the big switch was like going from like a profit mindset of like. Hey, we want to have a million dollars in profit to going to like a, a growth mindset of, we don't really care how much profit we have. We just want to add, you know, two, $3 million in revenue. Exactly. Yeah. Top line revenue. Interesting. Cause this, this topic of the acquisition process, I'm super interested in. Um, and I'm curious of like how long it, it was like from the time you guys started talking to once you got like a check. Or money mm. in your account? Man, that's a good question. Um, I'd have to break down the timeline, but I want to say it was like six months of due diligence and like negotiating and it wasn't quick. And so, I mean, one of the things I just was like, you know, when we were going through the process, I never like thought like, okay, I'm going to sell the company. I just kept going in every day. I'm like, I'm going to make this company bigger because I, my goal was to be able to be like, you know, I thought about it and it's not enough money. I'm going to need more money if you still want to buy it. So like, yeah. I, I think that's important. Like you don't want to get in the mindset of like, oh, I'm selling the company. So I'm going to coast for the next like three mm -hmm. months while we go through due diligence. Cause mm -hmm. then it's like, if you tank your company, they can back out at any time. Yeah. So, you know, we kept growing. We Making had our, better. yeah, we had our biggest month, like the month before we closed. So and that's <clears> best case <throat> scenario. I feel like here yeah, real, real quick. So, um, Maybe you guys cover this when I was upstairs real quick. But uh, so in that process of like now that you're acquired in those that, that six month time period um, where you are growing so much and there's like when did you kind of like realize that they were trying to buy your company and like how much negotiation was that? And 
are you growing in that time where you're using that to like sell your company for more? And then second question is now that you're kind of, let's do the first one. Oh yeah. 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 Answer that first one first. (laughs) You're good. So first one, um, they were super direct. So they literally just reached out again because of our blog was one of the ways that they found us in the first place, which is pretty cool. If you think about it, what we did to grow our company also helped lead to an exit. So content, Takeaway of this podcast today, yeah, have first. have content, yeah. but basically, um, they were just like, "Hey, we wanna we wanna buy a company like yours, and we wanna start the due diligence process. Is that something you'd be interested in?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And they're like, "Oh, so you're not like super, you know, eager?" eager? And I said, "No, not really," because at the time I was like, you know. I was in the mindset of I was going to keep growing, just keep making, because I was making a lot of money already. Mm-hmm. Like I already had, like when we went to Vegas in February and picked up my car, like I still owned my business. I hadn't yeah. sold it. Yeah. Like I, that was all just my right. money I was making for the business. So I think that's another takeaway from like selling a business. You don't want to be in a position where you need to sell it. Yeah. You want to be in a position where like they're chasing you. Like, yeah. Because did you have like a a bidding war between multiple potential buyers or was it just that one company? It was just the one company, but I did ask for more than they offered. I asked for quite a bit more, like 10% more than the initial offer and got it. So I wish I'd asked for like 20 or 30%. Because you had more leverage than you realized. Right. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So second question. Now that you are acquired, you got paid and now you're working like for them in a sense. Yeah. Um, is this like a temporary or like a contracted out time where you are kind of teaching them the ways like you were saying, or is it like, are you now an employee or is this a, like, how does that work exactly? Most people probably don't know anything about that. So, yeah. So it's really, you know, that's all part of the negotiation process. So, you know, you could say, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to sell my business because I want to leave and go do something different. And that might be like a turnoff, especially to a buyer in the service industry, especially if there's any kind of key man risk, which I have a TikTok that talks about key man risk. So maybe we can link to that. At Luke yeah. yeah. If people don't know what key man risk is, then I explain that in, I think I explained that in that TikTok. Um, but they're going to, they're typically, that's going to be a turnoff, right? So they are typically in a service-based business unless like, you're a really big company, like, well, not really big, but you're a big enough company that you have like a, a COO and you're literally just the CEO and you're not running like the day to day. Um, then you might be able to be like, yeah, I want to go do something else and they'll take over and hire a CEO. But most of the time in a smaller company, like 30 employees or less, they're probably going to want you to stay on. Um, but you can negotiate. Do you want it to be a contract? Do you want to be a W2 employee? What do you want to do? And that can be all part of your negotiations and you're going to have attorneys that you're going to pay to, you know, now facilitate those negotiations. So that's going to be expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but yeah, I chose to stay on as an employee. I didn't want to leave the company. Um, I was still having a lot of fun with what I was doing. Um, and I really wanted to be a part post acquisition because I also felt like I had a lot to learn Mm -hmm. from the acquiring company. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to, I think this is like a huge, it still is like, I'm still doing it. This is my day job. Um, that's what I was doing all day today and I'm learning all the time. And so I think it's super valuable to be acquired and stay on because you're getting acquired by a $150 million company. Mm -hmm. They're going to know way more than you do. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's again, I'm already leveling up my mindset again mm-hmm. where I'm like, you know, they're like, Hey, uh, we want to add 300,000 in monthly recurring revenue in, you know, five months. Tell us how much we need to spend to do that. You know? And it's like, Oh, how do I do that? And they're like, well, here's how, right. And I'm learning how to build like pro formas and you know, it's just stuff that I didn't know how to do already. Awesome. So, so a question about like your checklists, like, cause I know there's lots of different project management softwares, like, cause when we first started building out systems, we just made a bunch of Google docs and used like Google docs. Then we, we explored like uh, a couple different options and then landed even like once you land on one, it's like then like a year later, ClickUp comes out and then there's, you know, they're always innovating, but I'm curious of like what you guys uh, use for yours. Um, so we use Asana. Okay. Yeah. Uh, pretty common like project management tool, but I don't think it matters what you use. I don't think there's like, you know, it, it's about, it's about how a... you use it. Exactly. There you go. Yes, sir. So, <laughs> just like a wiener. On a zoom, <laughs> zoom out of like the kind of like the technical business talk for a sec. And so you said that you like always had that goal of like when you were younger of like becoming a millionaire. Yeah. And I want to hear like how you see the world now today versus like back then. Because like now you've reached that point and I feel like um, – like whenever you reach a big goal, I feel like you kind of like relax a little bit and get a little bit of confidence of like, look, I did that, you know, it's like, but when you're on the way to that goal, there's a lot of like, you know, fake confidence or like convincing yourself that you're amazing when you're not and just like a lot of like lying to yourself. Visualization. But once you get to that point yeah. where it's like you, you have the money, like you got it, you got like, you reach the goal. Like, how has that affected the way that you see yourself or, like, the world? Has it, like, confirmed anything about yourself, like, beliefs or anything like, like that? Yeah, that's um, so interesting. You know, interestingly enough, I think initially it was a huge letdown for me um, because I made all this money and... I was like, huh, now what? And what was weird is I had already been making so much money because you have to be making money to get a good valuation on a business in the first place. Yeah, definitely. That I already had a lot of the stuff I wanted. Had some fancy cars and a house and some cool clothes and, you know, whatever, right? And so I was like, huh, now what? And it was a big letdown because I realized that the thing that I was looking for all along was achievement and purpose. And I found achievement and purpose through setting goals, like micro goals and macro goals. I have a TikTok about that too. I think we should drop that. Um, Because every little, it's like that little pump of dopamine every time you hit that micro goal on your way to the macro goal yeah. and then you hit the macro goal and initially it was really like disappointing for me because yeah. I didn't plan. I didn't think big enough. I think in some ways might've been part of the problem, but also I think I thought like I'd instantly wake up like super happy. Like 
that does that, that sounds yeah, crazy yeah. saying that, but I just had this like I, I had this vision of like, yeah, once I'm a millionaire, I'm just gonna be like everything's gonna be like perfect. boom, yeah, yeah. And I woke up like alone in my house and spent Christmas Day like sitting there like, you know, like it was just like this big, like, yeah. Down. It makes me think of uh, do you know who Ted Turner is? He's like a Mm-mm. old like broadcast executive. I think he like founded like NBC or CBS or something. But his, I heard that his dad told him to, like, when his dad died, he told Ted Turner to set goals so big that you're never going to achieve them in your lifetime. That Be- is awesome. Because what you actually want is the progress of going towards a goal, not actually achieving the goal. Oh, just blew my mind. <laughs> so, because that's like, a, I love that. A common thing, I feel like, like, especially with entrepreneurs, is they have this, whether it's like, Regardless of what number it is, you know, it could be a millionaire, 10 million, 100 million. But once you get that thing, you're like, I, I don't know. I didn't plan this far, you know? Yeah. And I feel like we put so much like pressure on that goal. Like that, like once I do this, I'm going to be a changed person and nothing else matters until I reach that goal. But once you get that goal, you're like, I'm the same person as I was back then. And like, you're sometimes in a worse place because you now don't have that thing that you've been working towards. It's like on your birthday when they're like, do you feel any older? And you're like, no, I feel exactly the same (laughs) as I did yesterday. It's so gradual. So I think there's like, there's like a few really big takeaways um, to answer your question about like, or I think maybe it's Truman's question, but about how money kind of changes or changed my perspective at least, or how I see the world maybe a little bit differently. Uh, the first takeaway is I realized that no matter how much money I have, I need to be, I need to stay goal oriented and I need to keep looking ahead and setting new goals and bigger goals. I can't get complacent. Um, the second thing I realized is like, you always hear this saying about like how money doesn't buy happiness or whatever. Right. And I actually don't think that's true at all. I think it's just the wrong saying because like happiness is the wrong goal. Like it's the wrong thing to aim for. Um, like I think you need to like aim for like purpose, right? Like no one's going to wake up half beat every day. Right. And like, no matter how like you have 20 billion, hundred billion, like you're not gonna wake up happy every day. And it's like the wrong thing. Like, do you even want to be like just happy all the time? Like, no, you yeah. want to be like focused and it's, driven. And yeah, it's kind of like, sorry to cut you off. It's like kind of like in, a love relationship with a spouse or partner. It's like if you try to like optimize for being 10 out of 10 in love every day, like that is like not going to happen just because like you're both two humans and it's not going to be at a peak for decades, you know? Right. But what you kind of are working towards is like a deeper connection and meaning. And that is like, that's like sometimes those deeper connections and meanings come from going through an argument and coming out the other side. You know, it's like not, if you're just optimizing for like 10 out of 10 love, you're going to avoid confrontation and you're going to avoid some tough stuff because you're like trying to just maintain like, no, we're happy. We're happy. You know, you know, (laughs) but it's like, that's, so it kind of relates to what you're saying. If you're optimizing for like happiness, then you're kind of like not going to take as much risk and stuff because you're just trying to maintain this like status quo of like. I don't want anything to change around me, you know, but if you're like optimizing for this, like 
fulfillment or deeper purpose of progression, you know, then you're going to like be willing to like burn your bridges and stuff, you know? Yeah. So I think what you're really talking about is like asking yourself, how can I provide value to the world? Um, because that's where you're going to get purpose, right? Is if you feel like you're providing value to the world, that's where, that's where you say I'm, I have a purpose. Um, and I think that people that are live purpose filled lives are the ironically enough, the happiest people, if you want to call it that, because they feel like they have purpose in the world and they fulfill it. They feel like they're providing a lot of value, whether they make a lot of money or not. I think the other takeaway from the money thing is, is like, it might get rid of all your money problems, but that doesn't mean you won't have other problems that you still haven't addressed. So I like checked myself into therapy right away and I was like, I need some therapy. There's some stuff I need to work <laughs> yeah. through. Well, it was great to have the time to be able to do that and right. the money to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like you now have a new problem of trying to figure out what to do with all your money. Uh, where are you going to put it all? You, know, you just yeah. sit it in the bank. No, you got to find investments. You got to find vehicles you got to purchase assets. You have to put that money back to work for you. I have a TikTok about that too. Honestly, seeing you and your dog in the Aston Martin, that's like, <laughs> that's my biggest like dream living. Like that's, that's how I want to spend my money, you know, dogs and cars. <laughs> I love this conversation because I feel like it is totally on topic with our podcast and what we've talked about before of like, it's even like knowing the difference between pleasure and happiness. Because like, if I'm trying to optimize just like what makes Mike happy, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, you know, maybe it's that short term thinking that's like, let me just go out and just eat out, eat, go get lunch instead of like eating a green smoothie that tastes like shit, a shot of apple cider vinegar and some celery where it's like that clearly isn't going to make me happier right now. But it's like over time, it's like same with like going to the gym, like it's not going to feel good. It's not going to be fun, but eventually the positive effects catch up to you. And like some of the things that make you the happiest is by sacrificing in the short term, like the satisfaction of hiking up temp or doing a big accomplishment is because you went through the hours of pain, hiking and enduring through, or like running a 40 miler, you know? And it's like, if we're constantly just like, Oh, what's going to make me the happiest right now? Let me go, you know, uh, just uh, impulse buy an Xbox or you know do whatever whatever it is versus like making short term sacrifice. Yeah. So I think there's something super powerful in that when you're talking about like pleasure and you know happiness and just kind of the differences there and what you're looking for. There's really like interesting in in my own life i've seen this really interesting correlation between my level of like happiness and the amount of effort i put into my day so i'll give you an example um if i have a really low effort day where i sleep in and i don't go to the gym and i do all the things that make me happy quote unquote and i eat my fast food and i have my pie and whatever else i want to eat ice cream and i watch a movie before bed and you know have some drinks, just like live the good life. I wake up the next day and I feel like shit. Like, what did I do with my day? And so one of the things that I've done to like, like post acquisition, um, and I, I sold two companies actually in the same year. 
but post acquisitions, um, is I've gotten back on a routine and I've got new goals and I'm actually chasing, um, like, a uh, I want to become a pro, uh, physique competitor. Oh, nice. So I have another show in March and you guys came to my show, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. last awesome. year. The Grand so, America. Yeah. Salt Lake. Yeah. I'm going back in March and I'm going to probably do two back to back. I'm trying to get my pro card. So, um, but like this whole week and all last week I get up at 6am, I go straight to the gym. Uh, I go to work. I, well, I should say I, before I go to work, I do my day planner. So I go to the gym, get home, do my day planner, uh, go to work. And then as soon as I'm done working, I hit the gym again. So I'm doing like four hours of gym a day, three to four hours of gym a day. I eat a meal every three hours. I have a timer on my phone. I have meal prep and I eat every three hours all day. And some people are like, okay, wait, so you're like going to the gym for an hour and a half of weights and then like 30 minutes of cardio and you're doing like an hour mobility workout and then you're eating chicken, like asparagus and rice five times a day with like six eggs and like oatmeal and that's making you happy. That sounds really weird. Yeah. But it is because weird. I'm just kidding. It does though, like it does, like because you think like Let most. Let us know in the comments if that's weird. Yeah, yeah. comment if Luke is weird. <laughs> yeah, please no, yeah, please all do. All the W's in the chat stand for weird. <laughs> but but for real though, like think about it, because most people when they think of like I, I or, okay maybe not most people, but when I was a, like poor and struggling mm-hmm. and homeless in my car, the good life in my mind was on a beach yeah. with a drink, yeah, just. You know, loaded, hop in my Ferrari and go do whatever I want every day. And that's like a recipe for sadness. (laughs) That's like a recipe for sadness. Like, like that's like the worst. Like, that's not going to be, you're not going to be happy doing that. Like, if you are, I would be like, seriously, put that in the comments. If someone does that every day and they're super happy, I want to hear about that. Because that sounds. We want to come learn learn from you. Yeah. Yeah, we want you on the pod. Yeah. But no, I think that it was, it's the, it's the routine and the consistency that is that makes me happy. I can't. I guess I can't speak for everyone else, but that's what makes me happy. No, I, I 100%. You have to like work for it. Yeah. Like it's not just like oh you get there it's given to you you've achieved it and then you're forever living in nirvana. But it's like you have to work to get that lifestyle to be to feel as good as you feel. Yeah. I think it's just like redefining what happiness is. I feel like that's a really weird term to be able to throw on like. All, like a blanket statement over all of the human emotions of like positive, like positive emotions. We just throw happiness over everything, but it's like, there's yeah. a difference between like spending your day just watching Netflix for 12 hours. Like you, that not that you've ever done it, that. It's like, you think that that is like, uh, what happiness is, but that is like, actually like, I don't know what word that would be, but it's a tar it's pit. Like, uh, de- depression. <laughs> no, I heard, I, I was watching this Y Combinator video that was talking about tar pit business ideas. And what makes it a tar pit is from a distance to animals, it looks like a freshwater pond. They come up to the pond, they step in it, they put their mouths in it, realize it's fucking tar. And then it's a graveyard in there. And oh. they all disappear. And by the time you stepped in the tar pit, it's too late. It's too late. Where it's like things like Netflix or uh, eating ice cream or whatever. Like, it's like your mind will give you like excuses for why it's like, oh, just this, you've had a bad day. So just to have that ice cream or whatever until you've been eating ice cream every day for a month and your gut is growing. Yeah. So I think closing out that thought though about how is life different? 
the big takeaway is I found out that the stuff that made me happy before I had money is the same stuff mm. that makes me happy with money. Mm, so it's, it's not the cars. It's not the house, not the clothes. Like I went to a UFC fight the other day and had floor seats. Never would have been able to do that poor. Um, and that's not the stuff that makes you happy. The stuff that makes me happy is getting up early, getting on my grind, aiming for new goals, working really hard towards whatever those goals are and being consistent. And at the end of the week, I look back at my week at my day planner and I go, dude, you crushed all six of your meals on time every day. You woke up on time. You hit the gym twice. You got all of your work done. That's happiness for me is I look back at my week and I crushed my week. And I could do that poor or with a million dollars or with $10, I could do that and I could be happy. Yeah, that, um, that is so savage, honestly. And it just makes me think of like, it's so weird, like your perspective on happiness. Sometimes in a moment, you don't think that you feel so happy. You don't realize. And then in hindsight, you notice how happy you are. And it makes me think of like, when I was doing really, really heavy Instacart, most of the time, like I was like dreading. I was like, I don't want to fucking do this shit, but I need <laughs> to get some cash today. But then I'd get in these flows where I have really fulfilling days where I'm like, I just listened to three JREs. I just did 30 Instacart orders. I got to deliver groceries for old women that can't even leave this place. I was like, it feels really good. I was like on my journaling shit, journaling every day for months and like, in that moment, if you would have asked me, I'd be like, I'm struggling. I'm in this really difficult time in my life. But then in hindsight, you're, it's like, and even like going farther back, like when we were living in New Jersey, it's like in the moment, it's like, we're in the hood, we're working, we're struggling, we're not making any money. But then I reflect, I'm like, wow, some of the greatest relationships of my entire life came out of that situation. Yeah. Truman, Digital Jeff, even Adam was there, you know, like all sorts, I, I mean, I knew Adam before that. <laughs> but all sorts of things came from that where in the moment my parents were like, are you crazy? You're sleeping on the floor. You're not making any money. Like, why are you doing this? Yeah. It reminds me of, there's this uh, dude named Steve Rinella that's kind of like a hunting dude. He's like friends with Joe Rogan, but it's like, he Bow says, hunting guy? Uh, he does a little bit. He kind of does everything. He has a okay. show on uh, Netflix, but he says that like hunting is one of the things that is not fun while you're doing it, but it's fun after the fact to look back on. And I was like, that's applied to so many things like, like running. Cause when I was on my hunting trip with like, uh, two of my buddies, they were like, you having fun? Like, like they were genuinely, and I was like, no, <laughs> like this sucks. Like we got up at 4am and took a four wheeler ride 45 minutes up the mountain in the freezing cold and then hiked for an hour and a half just to get to the top of the summit to start like scouting. Yeah. I'm like, that's, I don't like, there's a lot more things that I could be doing right now if I want to have fun, you know? Yeah. But after the fact, like once I got home and like, I'm like in my warm house, like I'm taking a shower, I'm like, that was dope. Like that was sick. And it's like that same thinking applies to like your, like your day doing like grinding it out at the gym. It's like that, like there may be other things that you would like 
part of yourself would rather be doing in that moment. But like the larger part of you or like your higher self that wants to like optimize for fulfillment and satisfaction in a bigger sense is like loving it, you know? But like, it, it's like some of that stuff sucks no matter what you do. But when you get to the end of the week and you look back on your, look back on your week, you're like, I crushed yeah, that. I crushed and that. it's like what you're saying with Instacart, it's like that sucks when you're doing it. And, but when you get home, when you're driving home and you know that you crushed all that, you're like, I feel really like fulfilled, you know, it's like a fulfillment versus like, a, like this, like dopamine hit of like satisfaction of like, I just crushed a Baja Blast. I'm watching Netflix. It's like different levels of like satisfaction, you know? Yeah. This is super yeah. interesting. Cause I love like the conversation of like perspectives and that's one of the things that I'm trying to milk out of you while you're here is like your perspective. And I'm curious, like a topic that we've talked about before that it has to do with like mindsets is like uh, limiting beliefs. And like all of us have like been able to identify limiting beliefs and kind of work through them over the years. So I'm curious of like, what were some of your limiting beliefs that you may have told yourself? And how did you overcome them if you have? Yeah. So I think that your perspective on money, it can be a huge limiting belief um, in the early days of a business if you don't come from money. Like I guess yeah. if you come from a very wealthy upbringing, that might be different. I came from a pretty middle class, like maybe upper middle class upbringing. So, you know, to me, asking someone for $3,000 a month seemed like a lot of money. And so that perspective on money uh, really changes things, right? Because mm -hmm. depending on how much you think money is, is how much you're going to assume other people think money is. This is so true. This is it, very <clears throat> true. I'll, I'll let you finish, but it, I think of our one of our clients uh, in Orem. I'm not going to say who, we all know who, who it is, but they're our biggest... Client. Yeah, I know who they're. And it's just like one of those situations where we send an invoice and it's boom paid like within ten minutes, and it's like our best client, easiest work, and it's just like every time we go there, our mind is just like these got like this exists, you know, like these yeah. people, this way of living life is possible, you know. Versus our shitty clients where we're pulling teeth for a five hundred dollars shoe because she's a one man show. Yeah, and it just totally different levels, different perspectives. Yeah. yeah. So, so with, with those like money limiting beliefs specifically, was there like a quick inflection point where things turned or was it gradual over time where it was like, first you had to kind of work through uh, making kind of like the buddies that you would meet, like you mentioned, oh, 50 K yeah. a year. Then it was $500,000 and it was like, yeah. how quick was that transition? Unfortunately for me, it was slow. It was exactly what you just described. Yeah. So I started out thinking like 2K a month, all right. And then, you know, you, you only know what you hear about, right? So like growing up in my house, it was like, yeah, somebody makes so-and-so, they make 120000 a year. Ooh, dang, that's a lot of money. So in my mind, 120000 a year, that was a, lot of, that was a lot of money. So if I could make sixty as like a 19-year-old, I was like, that's a lot of money. I'm doing well. I'm well on my way to make $120,000 a year. Yeah. And so if that's what you're aiming for, then maybe eventually you'll get there, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it happened very slowly. And then I was like, oh, wait, you made 120000 in three months selling alarms? Oh, dude, you're making $500,000 a month? 
And so it like slowly leveled up my thinking and to where I could ask people for more money. The craziest thing though is like where I'm at now financially. There's months where I've spent like over $100,000 in a month of like my personal money. And like it's whatever. Mm-hmm. It's stuff that I needed or wanted. Yeah. Which is like now I realize going back in time, I'm like, I could ask these people for so much more money. Like I could have charged my clients so much more than I charged them. Is but- it easier for you to accept making larger purchases? Cause like, uh, from a, a poor man's perspective that I, I might know a little <laughs> bit about, you might like buy a new camera or a new computer and spend like a couple thousand dollars and then feel like regret or guilt afterwards where you're like, Oh fuck! I need to spend that money, or should I have spent on something else? Or like scarcity. Yeah, that can really mess with your mindset. Whereas, like, when you're making a big purchase, are you feeling those same feelings of like just had a bigger like? Or are you like, oh, but I'm not even stressing because I know that my business is a money making machine. So if I spend this money, it's not like you you didn't get to a financial point and then stop making money and then you're slowly from that point on moving backwards. You're like constantly making more money, so you're more free to spend it. So a lot of it's like passive income now for me. Like I have some sources of passive income, which is nice because I don't ever worry about spending my passive income. Like I'll spend, you know, sometimes I'll spend all of my passive income in a month. Not saying I should do that. Not setting an example here by any means. Um, Because I still have a long ways to go, right? Mm -hmm. On my journey, I don't think I've reached, I'm still at the bottom of the mountain. You know, Mm -hmm. that's how I feel about it. But I will say like, the way you feel about money and the way you pay your bills and the way you treat merchants will be the way like people treat your business. It'll be the way it'll be the clients you have. It'll be everything else. Mm -hmm. So if you hold those limiting beliefs, you're going to attach yourself to clients who hold the same limiting beliefs because you know, that's just how it's going to be. It's like a law of attraction type of thing. Yeah. And so if you look at money and you're like, my services are worth, you know, truthfully $300 an hour and um, we do the best work. There's realistically not a company around that's going to charge this person less than $300 an hour. That's how much I'm going to charge. And if anybody asks me for a discount, I'll be like, no, sorry, go find somebody else. That's what I charge. Then you're going to find clients that pay you $300 an hour. Yeah. I feel like this kind of makes me think about respect. Like where it's like, if you're a person that has no respect, you're going to, attract a lot of disrespect in your life versus if you're a respectful individual who treats other people with respect you start to see that respect shown back to you because that's how respect works it's a two-way road it's not just like one way and then you force someone to respect you it's like when you show respect other people are going to show that same respect back to you because they saw that you were a respectful person even self-respect like the way that you carry yourself as an individual is going to be how people treat you back. You know, like if you, if you're just giving out your time to everyone and you're not valuing your own time, then people are just going to like take as much time as they need from you or whatever. But if you're like, if you're the type of person that you value your own time and you're like, you're like proactive in like, Hey, I only do 20 minute meetings. I don't do hour long meetings. Like people are going to respect your time more because you're, Like you're doing it for yourself first, you know? Yeah. I think the biggest thing you can do to like level up your money mindset though is look outside of like your own comfort zone. 
right? So a great example of this is like, think about like Jeff Bezos, right? He just bought like a 500, I think it was $500 million dollar super yacht. Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah. It was like 500 million. <laughs> and Jeff Bezos, he, he bought like a $500 million dollar super yacht. So just really quick for a second, this really happened. Okay. You hear about it in the news, but let's just really think about it for a second. What percentage of his like net worth is that? He has like 200 billion. So it's point point two five. Yeah. Yep. Point two five percent. Yeah. So let's just say that you have a uh, hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Zero point zero two five. Okay. Give me give me the equivalent for a hundred thousand. Of his wealth? Yeah, like, like, like what's a hundred K to Yeah, what's a hundred K? What's point zero two five of a hundred thousand? His uh, net worth is what? Well, well, no. What's what is point zero two five multiplied by a hundred thousand yeah. to find the relative amount of money to someone who has a hundred k versus someone that has two hundred billion? I want to gotcha. say it's like two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> this is twenty five hundred. Okay, twenty five hundred. Okay, <clears throat> so you still have. It's like getting a new iPhone. Yeah, you still have ninety seven thousand dollars left. Interestingly, relatively speaking, it's still way less. It's still actually twenty five hundred dollars to someone who has a hundred thousand is still way more than five hundred million to someone who has two hundred billion. Uh huh. Right. Does that make sense mm -hmm. as to why that would be way more? Right. Because yeah. like if you have five, if you have two hundred billion, you spend a billion. Even you still have one hundred ninety nine billion. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, realistically though, let's think about it. How many companies helped make that super yacht? There's probably TVs on it. There's probably oh, yeah. all sorts of vendors that made money on a $500 million yacht purchase. Why couldn't you be the company that's selling those $500 million yachts? And let's say that they pulled a profit margin of like 25 to 30%, which I don't think is ridiculous. What's 30% of 500 million? It's like, what? It's literally like making the commission on an acquisition. Sure. Like selling the selling that one selling the business ship to itself. Jeff Bezos is like selling your company for five hundred million dollars. Yeah, one hundred sixty-five. One hundred sixty-five million. So the company, let's just assume, the company that made that yacht made one hundred sixty-five million on one yacht in profit. That's savage. So, the point I'm trying to make is like how much money you have and how much money you're willing to spend and how you see money is going to also like dictate like the types of businesses you think about starting or investing in because like oh, yeah. are you going to go like look there's a market for people who have tons of money there's I was in Vegas and there's like $2000 sweaters I would never buy a $2000 sweater that's ridiculous but someone else will but I I I'm wearing like a $200 sweater but like 5 years ago I wouldn't no way in hell am I buying a $200 sweater mm -hmm. You know, was the money mindset something that you learned more so through mentors or were there specific books that also helped with this? It was more just like, or just observing, observing. Like, yeah. Reality. I think it was just observing and just realizing that like, there's no limit of money. One thing I, whenever I'm feeling a limited belief about money, come on, I like to just look at I-15, like the freeway here. There's like a thousand cars on it every minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those cars are $40,000 each and everybody driving those cars is making an average if you look at Utah's average income I think it's like 60,000 per year. Do that math, 1,000 times 60 times don't really, you don't really need to do it, but I'm just saying it's like millions and millions of dollars, right? Mm -hmm. On the freeway 
in like a one, like 30 second time span, there's money everywhere. There's no limit of money on this earth. There's tons of money. So Especially like, even more so today, like maybe like back then, if you've considered like the gold standard and whatever that, but it's like now it's like, they're just, they're just printing this out of yeah. thin air at this point, you know? So it's like, yeah, they're, yeah. So I think like, you know, for me, I guess, you know, where I'm at right now, my headspace right now, you didn't ask this, but I'll just share it is my headspace right now is not so much. I think initially I was super motivated to find a business that I could make a lot of money at because I wanted to make a lot of money in it. We've talked about this before. You guys are kind of, you've been there too, where you're just like, how do we make money? Mm-hmm. So I think that's like a thing. It's like, I don't want to exclude, like, I think young, hungry people, you know, men and women that are like entrepreneurial, that like one of their big goals is they want to make money. For sure, yeah. I think for most people. Um, but now I'm more of the headspace of like, how do I do something that gives me purpose? How do I do something that provides value and how do I do something that I, that I enjoy, um, that I can do, you know, day in and day out. <clears throat> so I wish I'd had that mindset earlier on. I think I would have Do you think you would have like went a different path? Like if you, if you like knew back then in your early twenties that like, would you have started a different business? If you're optimizing more for like the purpose uh, route, providing value, stuff you love, you want to do, uh, value, you know, that type of thing. No, I would have started the same business. Like if I had the knowledge I had now, is that what you're asking? Yeah. I would have started the same business and I would have been the first to write a ton of content about it because nobody had content back then. Yeah. <laughs> that's one that's of my questions was actually, um, if you could go back in time and have a conversation with your younger self, what would you tell them so you could achieve what you have now in half the time? write content. Yeah. I feel like that's what you, yeah. And listen to audible books and have a schedule every day and don't have FOMO. Mm -hmm. Don't look at what other people are doing on Instagram or Facebook and be like, Oh man, I spent my whole weekend working and all my friends went snowmobiling because those people in 20 years from now, they might still be snowmobiling on the weekends with, you know, a ton of debt and a ton of stress and an unhappy marriage and a bunch of other shit that you don't want. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to care about what other people are doing. If you want to be successful, you need to focus on your goals and forget about everything else. Yeah. It's interesting because like when we started Temple Mill, we knew that we of course wanted to make money, but also we were very driven by the purpose aspect of like, me and Truman got validation from being the guys to create videos for so many notable people. Like right before we started Temple Mill, like we were working with celebrities. And then when we started Temple Mill at the beginning, we were lucky enough to have like celebrity clients that were working with us out the gate. But then we got to a point where it felt like we were lying to ourselves and these money limiting beliefs because we, we had so much pride over like making sure the video came out so great. Mike and Truman are the ones doing it that we wouldn't delegate. We were afraid to delegate until probably at least a year or two after we had started Temple Mill, where we were like, bro, let's be honest with ourselves. We do want to hit these financial goals. As much as we do actually love like, you know, the creative fulfillment of going on shoots and whatnot, we also 
want to make more money so that we can take this to the next level, so that we can buy new cameras without thinking twice, buy the computers we need, get the office we need, and not struggle. And that was very difficult for us to transi transition into because, I mean, I feel like we're still transitioning into it. I've really resonated with like your waves of failure um, throughout like your entrepreneur journey because I've seen that with us. Like I feel like we're right past the second wave <laughs> because we've had like an initial really big failure. 2020 where was like the big one. It's like we had to fire our team that mm -hmm. was personal friends and I had to move in. Truman and I like uh, moved into different places and like that was like a very difficult period for us. But it was like the thing that we absolutely had to do to be able to strip back and be like, all right, we can't just be doing all types of videos. What, what specifically uh, type of video do we want to do? We started with personal brands because we're like, that's at our core what we were the best at. Like what we had even started with was uh, Gerard's personal brand. And even now to what we do today, we're hyper focused on personal brands that is still even a, a rabbit hole of multi-cam setups, podcasts, live streaming, even niching down, it's still a big niche. <laughs> like there's still like with video specifically, so many types of videos that you could do. And like condensing that down, it's like just each time that we rebuild, like we're essentially reinvent reinventing Temple Mill. Where like we look at it as like Temple Mill 1.0 was when we first started. Temple Mill 2.0 was after the 2020 crash. Was we rebuilt and we're like systems AF. We need systems. It was like a huge breakthrough that we had as entrepreneurs. And then right now we're currently in Temple Mill 3.0, which is like really leaning into focusing in on our offer and simplifying, taking influence from Chick-fil-A fast food menus, the repeat, uh, Tesla, Tesla made it Tesla. You could buy a Tesla from your phone before you don't buy cars on your phone, but Elon made the checkout process so simple. You could buy something that's worth a hundred thousand dollars just from your phone. And we're like, we've got a high ticket offer that normally is very complicated, very, so many middlemen, whatever. What if we make it so simple to check out with video production, just like a Tesla that you could do it from your phone. And then it just pushes us farther down this journey of like identifying, you know, who, who do we need to bring on next? Well, like what it's like, this is something that we've also talked about before. It's like the goal for us isn't to just not work. It's not to like uh, retire to a beach and drink pina coladas all day in Mexico. The goal is to be able to choose what we're working on, maximize ourselves and do it in a way that we want to do it. We don't want to have like a, a boss. We want to have our own company, our own culture, build it our own way and thinking of like, what's the work that I want to be doing every day? And mostly what that conversation like ends, ends up as is like, let's just make TikToks for Truman's page. Let's make content for our personal brands. And that's going to be the beacon. Like every time we've gotten new clients or projects, it's always because we put out a dope-ass video. Yeah. Or even if it wasn't immediately, oh, we put out a dope-ass video, then one day later we get a client. It's like we get a client because they're like, bro, I saw this your video you did for Gerard six months ago, and I knew yeah. you were the only guys I could work with. Like, I didn't want to work with anybody else. 
And it's given us a lot of loyalty with our clients too, where it's like, we don't want just, we do one shoot with you, then we're done. Like we want to work with you for years. Like we want to keep on like improving. Like we want to grow with our clients, you know? Yeah. We notice, oh, our clients are also scaling. We need to be able to scale with them or we get lost in the dust. If we're just the Mike and Truman two-man show, they go out and fucking do it all just us, you know? Yeah. We're not going to be able to grow with Linear as you guys get more clients and need. It's like, guys, we got two shoots this weekend. What are we going to do? Yeah. Did we miss out on an opportunity because we weren't ready for it? And there's like two things there I want to comment on. First one is uh, you, you talked about how you want to make the money first so that you can work on what you want to work on. And I think that that's definitely headed in the right direction for you because that is one thing money might not give you instant happiness or instant solve all your problems, but it does give you options. Yeah. You know, once you have money, you can go, okay, what do I want to do today? I don't have to worry about my bills. So what do I want to do? In you guys' case, what do we want to work on? We have the money coming in. What projects do we want to work on? So I think that's yeah. the head in the right direction. But then I have a question for you. You were talking about earlier how um, you started delegating stuff. Yeah. And I'm just curious, just honest answer. Do you feel like now that you've been delegating stuff, you're getting like sometimes even just as high of quality work or sometimes even higher quality work? I would say definitely. Yeah. But it came with trust issues because one of our downfalls of Temple Mill 1.0 was we delegated to someone without systems. Wrong person. And they dropped the ball and we lost two massive clients because they made a mistake and we trust them too quick. So we had to fire that person and restart over after losing potential 12K per month reoccurring revenue from these two clients. But then, one, so we had to hire, fire two of our team members, but one of them, it was like, you're getting fired because you fucked up really badly. And the other one was just like, no hard feelings. We just, the COVID just had just happened. We don't have shoots. Fend for yourself, essentially. Yeah. And so the that, that person we stayed in touch with is Easton. And he's been working with us for years throughout our journey. And he's someone where like, he's such a good technician. He knows the technical side Way of why us. there's interference between the microphones or why like certain things that like me and Truman come from just, oh, let's make it look good based on what we see, but not from like studying how IT and cameras work or whatever. Whereas like he was the opposite. And so it, it took some time for us to like have that trust in him, but he built that trust himself by showing us like, guys, I'm going to be trying to give the best. And he, he did his own projects outside of Temple Mill and was constantly growing and improving himself to where we could give him that trust and say, okay. But I mean, that was after three years of working with him and even... Even today, it's still hard letting go of that control. Yeah. So it's super interesting because, and the reason I asked that question is because I, I heard this back in the day when I was really struggling to delegate. Um, I heard this rule that was like, hire someone who's 70% as good as you, train them to be 80% as good as you, and then just be content with mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And I thought at the time, That's I was fire. like, That's actually really good. And I still think it's good advice, right? But what's crazy is like, I think it's actually kind of an ego-driven statement to think that you're 100%. Yeah. Totally, because what totally. I've found is my team today so much better than I ever was at everything they do. Oh, For yeah. one thing, because they're not scattered. They're, they're, doing, doing, one they're doing one job over and over again. Yeah. 
And so they're getting really good at it, right? Because all they're doing is, I'm just doing design, just doing design, just doing ads, just doing ads. So we have all these different roles, just doing copy, just writing content, right? Like how can I be as good when I'm designing and running ads and writing blogs and try, like you can't be because you're yeah. pulled in too many directions. And the real problem yeah. is you shouldn't be in the first place. So I think that's a good saying like, hey, find someone who you think 70% as good as you, train them to 10%, be happy yeah. with 80%. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I'm like, that's kind of an ego-driven statement because I actually think my employees today are better at their jobs than I ever was. Yeah. And I think you'll find the same thing as you continue to delegate. We hired a few VAs. It's like on top of like like uh, remote editors on top of like our other projects that we do like with in person like with Eason, and so I've been I've been kind of like going through the process of managing them over the past probably nine months since we had them, and I've been learning a lot and like something that like I was reminded of when you were saying that is like I would like try to do like provide so much context for them to do the job that it was like almost like an insult to their intelligence. Oh, yeah. like, click here. Yeah, click oh, here. Double like, click I, on scroll premiere. to the bottom of the page. <laughs> like, I, like, like it's like at the, at that point I'm basically doing the job, you yeah. know? And a lot of it is like, especially for like creatives or someone that's like has a service business where they started out doing the service themselves at least for me, I feel like there's like a lot of identity changes that you have to go through of like letting go of like uh, the fulfillment that you get from doing that. Like, cause like we, like we're the ones making the videos and we got a lot of praise. Like Mike and Schumer, that video is dope, you know? Yeah. But then like, like ego. when, yeah, ego. And then yeah. like when you uh, like let that go and it becomes like, oh, Temple Mill made a cool video. It's like, in a way we're getting that, but it's not as cool as like, yo Mike, that video was sick, you know? And like, yeah. so you have to like let go of that thing and like have your team get that like praise. Yeah. And like, and also like, you kind of have to like, like I come from like a, come up like a blue collar farming type family. And I feel like a lot of like the limiting beliefs back there is like that you get value from the work you do. Like, you know, yeah. like building a house or like digging a ditch and like, when you get into this like phase of like knowledge work or like building like businesses where you're like on a computer, it's like, doesn't feel the same as yeah. like digging a ditch and like seeing that ditch at the end of the day or like building a patio. Like I did landscaping for six years and with my dad and there's a feeling that you get when you like finish a patio, when it like the day you started, like that day when you started work, it wasn't there. And then when you leave, you're cleaning up and it's there. It's like, Sometimes you don't get that same fulfillment in yeah. like building a like an information type business, and like I got that feeling from making a video because it was like something that I could like complete. Yeah. But then it's like my work role changes from being the doer, like the building the stuff, to like manager, you know. Yeah. And that's like a big shift because you have to kind of like change your like where you get your fulfillment from or like your satisfaction or like your feeling of like, I did a good job. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. And I want you guys to be able to get through all the questions. I won't go off on this too long, but, um, you know, I think like it kind of like, kind of like the grind culture and like, I'm not saying like, I like a ton of Gary V stuff, like the video you sent me, but there's like, you know, the picture of him like sleeping in the airport and the truth is, like, maybe he has so many irons in the fire that he really does grind that hard, and that's cool for him. 
Um, but if you have like one small business, um, or even two small businesses and you're working really hard, chances are you're probably doing something wrong because you should be sitting at the helm of a board of management that tasks are being delegated to, and you should be overseeing that those tasks are being fulfilled and looking for constant ways to improve your team and your processes. And if you're doing all the work, you're doing something wrong. And so that, you know, there's no way you can grind. Like you don't need, like, what is that? A meeting every beginning of the week, middle of the week and end of the week for an hour Uh to run a company. That's about what it takes maybe. And a few hours on the side of doing stuff that maybe nobody else can do at that point in time until you hire someone to do it. You could run like, you know, three or four companies if you're sitting in a board position and you're running them and you're overseeing them and you're not doing the daily work. Mm -hmm. So I think that like the grind culture leads entrepreneurs of small businesses to think that they need to be running around like chickens with their head cut off, doing everything, checking in, micromanaging, blah, blah, blah. It's like if you hire a team of good people, you give them expectations, you let them do their job and you oversee it and you realize you're going to have in a service-based business, you're going to have a certain amount of churn customers who leave in a product based business. You're going to have a certain amount of customers that complain or send the product back and you get ahead of those problems and you look for ways to continuously drop your churn and to improve your product or to improve your service, to improve your team and you delegate those, then you're doing it right. But if you're just grinding, you're just, you're doing something wrong. So that's why I'm not like a huge proponent. I mean, I guess unless you're just creating content all the time, like I can see how you could fill your day. Like if I was like, Hey guys, I'm leaving this podcast to go on another podcast, to go on another podcast, to, you know, go shoot my own TikTok. So it's like, I guess you could grind really, really hard, you know, doing that, but to run a business. And if that's the only thing you're doing, I don't think you should be grinding that hard. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, Yeah, definitely. It it reminds me of something that Andy Frisella, do you know who that is? Yeah, of course. 90 days hard or 75 75 days. 90 days hard. Sounds like a (laughs) 75 hard. (laughs) But he said on a podcast, it's like, like, I hate when people like come up to me or like when I say like, like, how's your day going or like, what's up? And he's, and people are like, oh man, I'm just busy. I'm just, I'm just, it's been crazy, man. I'm just working so hard. Like, uh, like my days are full. And he's like, he's like, when you get to a certain like caliber, like, uh, like you sound like dumb. Yeah. Like, cause it's like you're, what that says to us is that you're mismanaging your whole day. Oh my gosh. You're not, you're not being smart with how you're managing your time. You know, you shouldn't be doing all this like what you just said like if you're doing all this stuff you're doing it wrong by by nature that's so interesting one of my very first ever like mentors and family friends i worked for him when i was like 18 19 doing manual labor but he was a multimillionaire, like um super smart guy and i was you know i was always of the mindset i wanted to be successful so one day I, i knew he was a multimillionaire. i knew he had bought and sold like three different businesses he had rental properties he had all these things going for him and so i was like hey dave what do you think makes the difference between super successful people that, you know, really well off and people who aren't successful? And he like sat on it for a second and I was expecting like this blow by blow breakdown answer that was going to be my path to success. And I'm sitting there like, yeah. And he's like, well, people that are successful, they really know how to prioritize their time. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. You're, you're, yeah. 
Yeah, like, a little more than that, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy because what you just said and where I'm at now in life, it's like literally it's the, that is the answer. Like you're either working smart and you're like prioritizing and planning your day and you know what you need to do and you know what actually matters or you don't. There's no in between. It's like uh, having, when people talk about like leverage, like do the activities or take the actions that have the most leverage where you can put in one input of action and you get 10 out versus like you're just putting in one and getting one back, you know, like, like versus like if you're building, if you're working, doing all of the technical stuff of your business, you're just working in your like grinding that out, but you can build a system, like build a, uh, like a job scorecard to hire someone to do that job. And on the initial run, you may have to put in a lot more work to build that one thing. But once that like job thing is built and you hire someone, then you don't have to do that anymore and you can move on to something else. Exactly. Question. So how much of the systems so something that you mentioned earlier, once you came back around to Linear 3.0 and, and you'd hired your, or you'd fired your last like OG employee yeah. and you said you hired a woman who was like really good. Yeah. How much of her systems did you have to build for her prior to her coming on versus her being better than you and building better systems than you could have? Because like for me as an entrepreneur, we go through these waves where it's like we spend so much time trying to build out every single system like versus you can you bring on the yeah just like sometimes we'll build out an offer system. a landing page a system in our eyes it fails or it doesn't do as well as we expected we pivot we just lost all that time that we wasted building those systems or at least retain some of it versus like how much of it did you know you needed you you had built out prior to just plug someone in versus like trusting the employee to build out their own systems that's a great question i mean i go back to like seven habits of highly effective people for this question where he talks about begin with the end in mind. Like you, if you're not thinking about what your end goal is, then you can't build processes because you don't really know where you're headed. Yeah. So I think the thing that helped me is I knew exactly what I wanted to build. And so I built out the comp, the structure of like a 50 person company, even though I had one employee and I was like, okay, I'm going to need this many people here, this many people here. Here's how many people we need to manage X number of revenue. And then I did the math to find out if it was profitable. Yeah. And then once it was profitable, I was like, okay, this is profitable. We can scale this model. And then I started building processes and I had her help me and she improved like the ideas mm. and the way we set processes up, introduced me some pro- project management tools and things like that. So you had built out the model. Yeah. The business before, model. And then she helped build out the processes for, to. I had her write down everything she did each day and then basically kind of audited her time and then we figured out okay you need to do this 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 and this when you start and then what we do we started asking questions so we used like scrum uh it, not the whole technique but there's a technique from scrum if you're familiar with uh, that where at the end of the project you ask what went well what could have gone better so every time we had a client that we onboarded we'd go what went well okay we did this this and this they really liked this great let's keep that as our processes what could we have done better and we went back and said, oh, well, they didn't like this. This took too long. We didn't set the right expectation here. And then we were like, hey, you know, we need an, we need an intake form where we ask them all these questions. Mm, yeah. It's and, Sorry, keep going. Okay. And now we have an intake form. So now what we have is an intake form that we have 
four questions on, right? To begin with, or five questions. It's a minimum viable product. But then we go through another one. What went well? What could we have done better? Hey, we need to add this question, this question. And to this day, like yesterday, we added a new question to that intake form. It has like 40 questions now. Like we're always getting better. It evolves. It evolves. But you have to have a minimum viable product, but you also have to know where you're headed and you can't just scrap things. I don't think you can just scrap things unless you're, you have a really good reason. It's yeah. like that, um, what I was going to say, it's like it's almost like you're being really scientific with it. It's like you're, mm. you have your process. Like let's just say it's like your onboarding process. It's yeah. like that's what it is. Okay, let's go test it out with this new client. And you run them through. You ask those two questions. And then you add some stuff onto it. It becomes a little bit better. And then you move forward. You keep adding on. And so it's like... You keep it constant for the most part until you add stuff on, keep it moving. And, but it like that compared to how most people run their business is they're winging it every time that they get a new client and they don't know what they're doing. Like they, they don't know a good client onboarding experience from a bad one. Like they just hear the remarks like afterwards of like, yo, that sucked, but they couldn't go back and articulate why it went well, why it didn't go right, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the, one of your processes has to be, um, in a service-based business, this isn't going to apply if you have a product, right? But you have to have like a company policy and some sort of a client expectation. So like if you go to Jiffy Lube to get your oil changed and you're like, Hey, um, I want you guys to shine my shoes for me. They're gonna be like, Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't do that because we don't shine shoes. So you have to have like boundaries and expectations and like a list of services. And if you go to Jiffy Lube and you're like, Hey, can you replace my transmission? I don't think they do that, but they're probably like, no, but we can refer you to someone who can. Right. So like in a service-based business, it's especially a creative business. Like how many iterations are you giving them? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you need to have everything dialed in. And then when a client asks you for something that's out of scope, you have to have the courage to say no and they'll respect you for it. And if they don't, you need a new client. And so that was like something. If they can't respect your boundaries, then you're going to continue to have problems down the line. That so you don't just want. just imagine we, earlier. I'll go back to a question earlier where we were talking about perspective. How do I see things differently now? Like from a client perspective, I don't care about clients' opinions nearly as much. Like we have a big team. We have a lot of clients. So do I care about my clients? Absolutely. But if a client comes to me and is super disrespectful and is like, we don't want to pay our bill because of this and we don't like this and we're really unhappy with it, I'm going to go, okay, well, according to your contract, you need a 30-day notice. Um, I'd love to go to bat for you and fix these problems. Um, if you don't want us to do that, go ahead and put in your notice. We'll get you canceled out and get you off-boarded and uh, we'll go from there. But if you don't want to work with us and it's going to be a huge pain to work with you, then I don't think that's a good fit for us, right? Obviously, I'm going to word it way more tactfully than that. But what I'm getting at... You're not desperate for that client. And I think as a small company, you need to imagine that you have hundreds of millions of dollars and you don't need the money. And you need to go, if I didn't need the money and I was just doing this because... And I'm going to follow my processes and and stick to my boundaries because I I do not need this money. What I need is a client who respects my boundaries then you're going to have better client outcomes. You're going to have better client relationships. You're going to have a better business um, because you're going to be able to tell your clients no. And that's going to help you stick to your processes and you're not going to end up winging it because if they ask for something you don't do, you're going to say, I'm sorry, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. 
Dude, this is very interesting because it makes me think of a conversation we had <laughs> with one of your clients when we were in Philadelphia on a project. And they were talking about the difference between developers that they've worked with in different countries. And they said that in one country, I'm not going to say which country or which, because I don't remember exactly, but in one country, the developers will notoriously say yes to everything and yeah. say that they can just do it. I remember that. And that seems on the surface like a good thing, because it's like, oh, they can do it. Whereas he said the developers in a different country will actually tell you no, and they'll say no, sir, this is actually going to take 30 developers or this is way out of scope, you know, right. and that's actually what you're looking for. But in the moment, saying no is so difficult. Yeah. And I mean, think about it, though. Like when you go to a big company for a service or a product, like you almost respect when they tell you no. And it also sets like a, a tone for the relationship. Like if you go into Verizon Wireless today and you're like, hey. I want $50 off my monthly bill and I want a free iPhone. And we're like, no, I'm sorry, sir. They're not going to be disrespectful to you, but yeah. they're just going to be like, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I can't do that. But you're like, oh, yeah, but I do like my Verizon service. My phone's pretty cool. So I guess I'll just keep paying for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But as a small company, I feel like it's so easy to get bullied right. by like clients and like, especially in a service based industry because you're like, oh, I need them to pay their bill this month. Right. But as soon as you like, let them know that and you let them bully you and you do stuff that's out of scope like you're already done. Like that relationship's already over or you've already sacrificed your company's profits or yeah. something. Cause right? once they know that like you're going to budge on something, I feel like they inch, yeah. give a mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to be cognizant of time here and yeah. start wrapping up, but I have a question on, um, goals. Like you're very goal oriented. How do you decide like, like what size goal to go after? Cause I feel like, in my life, it's like I'm always either setting them like way too low where I'm not being excited and motivated to go after it, or I'm setting them like fucking in the sky and I'm like, like, I'm like super motivated, but I'm like, okay, where do I start? <laughs> like, what do I do Monday, you know? Yeah. And I, I want to hear your perspective on whether it's like a business or fitness one. How do you go? How do you approach setting goals and more importantly, achieving those goals? Yeah. So I think just giving you an example might be the best way to answer the question. So, uh, like I said, I did a show, um, my first NPC show last year in April and I prepped for like, uh, 12 weeks. Right. And my goal was to win the contest. I ended up taking second, but, um, in order to set the goal, I consulted with like experts, people who, trained competitors for shows and knew how long it took. They knew what to eat. Mm. They knew what to do. Um, and so I listened to their advice and I followed the diet. I followed the posing regimens. I followed their exercise routines and I did what they said and I stayed on schedule and I got to the show and I put, I think the best package together I could have put together at the time. Um, and so preparing, like setting that goal, my goal was to go win the show, get my pro card, um, and just, you know, look phenomenal, right? Bring my best package on stage. So setting the goal before I set the goal, I didn't just like walk in three weeks before the show and say, I'm going to do a show, hire a coach, I'm going to get ready. Like I did some research and I was like, okay, how long does it take to prep for a show? 
what do I need to know? What poses do I need to know? What should I be practicing? What are other people doing this? What are they doing? And then I set a real, what I felt like was a realistic timeline for me to hit that goal. So, um, like in, I think any goal that you're trying to achieve, you need to look at other people who have achieved it. And then like, you know, I'm not saying limit yourselves to their timeline. If it took them 10 years to do something, feel free to go out and try to do it in a year, but at least find out why it took them 10 years and what they had to do to get there. Yeah. Um, maybe reach out to that person mm -hmm. or other people like them, find out what you need to do to head in that direction. Um, what books do you need to read? What skill sets do you need to have? Um, you know, if you're going to be an investor, what other investors have turned, you know, 2 million into 10 million now, how'd they get there? What did they invest in? What advice would they give you? What's a realistic timeline for hitting 10 million? Is it a year, two years, three years? Does it depend on your risk tolerance? Like, I think there's going to be different answers to those, but I try to set realistic goals by consulting with people who've already achieved the goals that I want to achieve. Or like, I like to read autobiographies or biographies mm -hmm. because those are a really good idea, like really good way to get into someone else's frame and see how they thought um, throughout their life as they approached goals. I, like I just finished reading Total Recall, which is oh, like Arnold's. That's, yeah, I've uh, read that probably three times, <laughs> three times in my life. And like that book along with like um, Dave Goggins' Can't Hurt Me. That's a great one too. Those two books were like, my life was like different after. after. Like it was like, I read it and I was like, okay, like I'm so inspired. Like not just like momentarily inspired, but like, I feel like I like got in a grasp of life in a totally new way, you know? Yeah. 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 So that it's inter it's interesting because your perspective on goals is also very serious and committed versus like when I think of goals that I failed in the past, like when I was 19, I was like, Oh, I want to own, I want to own a bar before I'm even old enough to go inside of one. Yeah. I said that maybe one time, but then I never made actual, I, that wasn't even necessarily something that I genuinely really truly wanted. And I wasn't serious. I wasn't committed versus like the way that you're saying approaching goals. It's like, you don't set a goal to not hit it. Like you don't just set it for the idea of like, yeah, I want a mansion. And then you just live your life and hope you get it. But it's yeah. like, when you set that goal, you're going to go find out, find other people that achieve that goal. You're going to do the work. You're going to stay disciplined and focused and, um, like, have you ever been like super discouraged from not hitting goals or goals taking longer than you expected? Oh yeah, for sure. I also think that you can have like, you can not know how close you are to a goal too. Mm. Um, you don't always have 2020 like vision that you're close to a goal. And so if you like quit and you stop, you might be really close and you just quit right before you were there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, when I was, you know, aiming to, to scale linear, um, those first and second times both. And then I failed. It was like the most discouraging thing ever. And I had, you know, people that I loved, family members, friends, like, you know, kind of like they talk down to you, but like, they don't even realize, I don't even fault them for it. Cause they don't yeah. even realize they're doing it. I noticed this also. But they're like, you know, you should just, you should get a job where my son works. You know, he's making, he's making good money and uh, you know, he's, yeah, I think you should, you know, get more realistic with what you're trying to do in life, you know? Yeah. And, um, 
Because that's what their reality has told them. Right. So they don't believe that it's or pursuit they, of happiness, right? Where just, he's like, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't do yeah. anything. Because right? they can't do it. It's like they can't see what you see inside your mind. Like, it's right. like they're, in all reality, they're, they could be just trying to, like, help you. you know? Sure. But it's like, good intentions. Yeah, good yeah. intentions. But it's like you, that's why you have to, like, stay committed to, like, your vision. Because it's like only you can see that. Yeah. People aren't going to. Which is another thing that Andy Fasel talks about is like, don't expect other people to believe in you when you're starting out because mm. like they're not going to until they actually see the office building. Like it's like, yeah, don't expect them to believe in you. Like they're not going to. Yeah. I think like my first, you know, reel that I posted on Instagram the other day advertising my TikTok got like 40 likes, but like in two years from now, I'm going to have a million, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone now can look at me and be like, huh, yeah, whatever. But I'm going to be consistent. Yeah, put right. your, and consistency your is what. Is. That's right. That's what happens when you're consistent is you get results. So, I think um, the, the second part of your question was, how have I overcome those? You know, being disappointed from not hitting a goal. And one of the big ways, one of the big things that's helped me overcome that is, I heard this saying, and I don't even remember where I heard it. I wish I could give someone credit, um, but it went something like. Don't wish it were easier. Wish you were better. And like there was so many times for my last, um, you know, when I failed as a business, when I'm like, man, I wish it was easier to run a business. I wish it was easier to find good people. I wish it was easier to find good clients. When I was prepping for my show and I was eating avocado and chicken and zucchini five, six times a day and doing Mm -hmm. two and a half hours of cardio and two hours of weights and working 10 hour days, I was like, I wish it were easier. I wish I had better genes, you know, like I wish there was all these things different so I could just look the way I want to and go win, but it's not ever going to be easier. So yeah. wishing for it to be easier is like pointless as hell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's instead, also like a victim mentality. Right. So I started shifting that to like, I wish I was better. I wish I had more mental fortitude. Mm. Like I wish I was like enjoying putting in the work instead of like hating it. Like I wish I was smarter. Okay. And then once you start wishing you were better, you can start taking action to actually be better. Mm -hmm. I can listen to more books. I can have a better schedule. I can eat my food on time every day. I can get to bed on time every day. I can actually make myself better. I can't make it easier, but I can make myself better. So you put yourself back in control of the situation. Yeah. So that's how I overcame those times of feeling down as I thought, um, you know, instead of wishing I didn't have $180,000 of debt, I was like, I'm going to figure out how to pay this shit off. I'm going to figure out how to make myself better, you know, make my business better. And I think, you know, it's something I didn't cover much. I won't make this a long answer, but, you know, during the course of running businesses and failing, I actually totally let my health go. Like I didn't get to the gym like I like looked like shit felt like shit slept like shit performed at work like shit was stressed all the time and I realized at a certain point that if you don't take care of yourself your number one asset you don't take care of your brain your health your body you can't go and perform at work at a high level and so you have to take care of your health and you have to treat yourself as your number one asset when you're running um, a business. And, you know, um, 
when you do that, you know, you're constantly looking to improve your, yourself, your schedule, your education, your, you know, knowledge level, your strength, your health. Um, you know, that's going to bleed into your success in business and everything else. Cause do you want to do business with somebody that looks like they're about to have a heart attack because they yeah. haven't slept and they've got bags in their eyes? Yes. Or do you want a yeah. business with somebody who's sharp and awake and healthy dialed. And, and dialed? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's almost like that. That is that, uh, grind, like that mindset of like just being a, like a, the grind mentality was maybe something that you fell into at that time period of just like hundred percent. Um, cause I, I have those voices too. That's like, yo, maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should just stop going to the gym. Cause and then you'll have an extra hour and a half to work, you know? And it's like, those are so tempting, but it's like coming from that mindset of like, just throwing yourself a hundred percent into that one thing, you know, like, and it's like, so short term, you know, it's like, you want to do these like sprints or something, but it's like, maybe sometimes you have to do that, but not for like, you, you want to be very cautious of how long you're getting stuck in those, yeah, those grind, like all nighter type things because it's not sustainable. Um, but yeah. One word that's like to kind of wrap this up, I guess. Cause yeah, also, uh, we're going to come on your podcast and have another conversation yeah. in the future. So everyone who's listening to this, like, Definitely, we're going to be tagging all of Luke's social media and stuff. And then oh, yeah. once you start rolling out more content, there's going to be more coming from us. But, like, one word that's really just sticking out is, like, make. Make it. You have to – or make yourself. And, like, when I think of the word make, I think of, like, you're not expecting something to be given to you. If something's given to you, you didn't make it, you know? Like, Truman could gift me an action figure – or I could like take that aluminum can and force it and make it into an action figure. And like that perspective on your life of like you're gonna make you're gonna make yourself better is like saying that you're gonna go and do the work yourself without it being given to you. And I feel like there's something there to like you have to make it if you wanna make it. Like it's if Rap you wanna sense. make it, you have to make it. Brick by brick. And what's so awesome about that is it ties into everything else we talked about. And um, I like to think about the idea of, you know, if you were given something, if you did wish it were easier and it got easier, if you, you know, won the lottery, it would actually rob you of all the joy and satisfaction of the achievement and the milestones and the hard work and, you know, that's why I think you look at people who, like, win the lottery and they, like, ruin their lives or they're unhappy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I look at some of the un- most unhappy people on earth as, like, the trust fund kids. The kids who were born with, like, tons of money and they never find their own way. They just, like, use their, like, family's wealth and they never achieve much themselves. And they're addicted to drugs and they hate their life. And, you know, that's, that happens all the time. Yeah. And, like, I had a buddy the other day that was, like, playing the lottery and he's like, dude, like... You know, like, I'm so stoked. Like, if I won, like, what would you do if you won the lottery? I was like, I'd give it all away. He's like, no, you wouldn't. Nobody does. I'm like, no, first of all, I wouldn't play the lottery. But if I won, I would give it all away. Yeah. Because if I win the lottery and I keep it, I've just ruined my whole set of achievement because someone just gave it to me. And now I'm like, 
I just what what is there to go work for? It's like for when now? you do the unlimited money cheat code in GTA. That's literally what I was gonna and say. And then it's not fun anymore. It's not fun. It's, yeah. a, it's a peak experience for twenty <laughs> minutes. You're like the helicopter, the Lamborghini. And then like once you realize you can spawn those at any moment, yeah. it's like You didn't earn any of it. Yeah, you didn't earn it and it's boring. Yeah. So I think that's a really good place to I think it's a great place up. to wrap Yeah, up. Luke, this was super fire. Really appreciate you like coming through and dropping knowledge bombs on our audience and like y'all just get a taste of what it's like to be boys with Luke. So super uh, hyped to get this episode and got a bunch of content coming on your page that Truman and yeah. I were like part of producing. And so if you guys like um, are into investing, making money, personal development, like that's what your page is all about. Something that's also cool is just like you're not like selling courses or selling to your audience. You're just straight up yeah. like, let me just help someone who's going through the same journey that you're going on and sharing yeah. what you know. So that's insanely fire to get for free. So if you're someone that's like on your shit, you're trying to be better, 100% go check out Luke's page. And uh, yeah, any last thoughts, boys? Just thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, if there's anyone that's listening that, you know, it owns a business and has questions dm me now while i'm not busy so that i can actually yeah. give you attention yeah, yeah. uh you know and let's let's be friends uh follow me on tiktok instagram and uh i'll give you guys a follow back and try to help wherever i can i'd love content ideas too if you have like specific business or investment you Ooh, know yeah. um topics you want to hear me talk about then um drop it in the comments let's go all right guys catch y'all on the flip on the flip Oh. Right, thanks for tuning in to Conversations with Humans. Nice.